Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with instant analysis of WWE WrestleMania 37. That's right, this is the ultimate preview, this is the ultimate professional wrestling podcast, and this is the ultimate WWE pay-per-view, the showcase of the Immortals, the granddaddy of them all, a two-night spectacular put on by WWE with fans in attendance for the first time in more than a year, the Silver King Adam Silverstein, vintage Chris Benini, here to break it all down for you, and I tweeted this right before we started taping this instant analysis, which is going down just minutes after WrestleMania went off the air, that I am not sure I've ever been more excited to tape an instant analysis podcast following a pay-per-view, and if that gives you a little hint into what the Silver King thought about WrestleMania 37, well, I didn't mean to put the cart before the horse, but yeah, I enjoyed that pay-per-view. We are going to get to every single thing that happened at WrestleMania 37 momentarily. For first-time listeners, the way this show works is we break down every match, storyline, and happening on these pay-per-views. We do it in what we think is an interesting and relaxed fashion and try to give you a little bit of our insight into what we believe WWE has done from a booking perspective and what it may do going forward. But we do that by interacting with our audience and the best way we can interact with you is for you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do you get to tweet us and DM us, we read those tweets and DMs on the show, you also get to participate in our pre and post show polls so we know what you think about these pay per views. And it's the best place to find out whenever we release episodes. The other thing you can do to help the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Remember, it is all about the five and drop a five star rating and review to let people know how much you love the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Those are reviews, your listens, the word of mouth, pushing the show to your friends and family. All of it matters. It helps this show grow. Instant Analysis Podcasts are a signature of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, and I'm thrilled to bring you guys the WrestleMania 37 Instant Analysis. The way we normally do this is I welcome in my co-host, Chris Vanini. We each pop a beer. We get to drinking. Well, the Silver King right now is in uh, Augusta, Georgia, just covered a week of the 2021 Masters. You do not need to feel bad for me about that. That does explain to you, though, why my voice is a little bit lower. I'm in a hotel room. I'm trying not to wake anyone up, but I don't have any beer. I can't crack a bottle. I do have an $8 bottle of water here with me. I do have some sweet tea from Augusta National. I'll be drinking those throughout the show, but I don't have any beer. So my prayer is that my co-host, Vintage Chris Vanini, has one to satiate me as we get the show on the road. So Chris, welcome to the show. Do you have something good to drink? Of course I do. I have, uh, I guess, what's considered the old classic for me, the Abita Purple Haze. I went out and got some this weekend because I knew of all the shows, of all the instant analyses, mm-hmm. this is the one we were going to need that. Not only did I have some Purple Haze with me, but I ate an Uncrustable during the show to really get in the mood <laughs> for this podcast. Uncrustables, if you're listening, please come sponsor the Getting Over Wrestling <laughs> podcast. Uh, there's, this but- weird, there's this weird thing about Uncrustables. It's like. So I'm not a huge Uncrustables fan or anything like that. I just happened to have it one time. They're delicious. I love peanut butter and jelly is what the Silver King loves. I have a very specific take on peanut butter and jelly. But I figured because I like it so much, people talk about Uncrustables. They passed me by. Uncrustables came out after I finished the school years where you would use them, where you know where, you, where they would benefit you to, to eat. Um, so I just always, always made my own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They were on sale one time. I tried them. 
uh, I was shocked. I was legitimately shocked that they were actually good. I just figured that would be terrible. Uh, they weren't, but it's it's fun to see that you have tried and enjoyed them and that other people have as well. But trust me, I just want to be clear. I, I like peanut butter and jelly. Uncrustables, they're good, but they're not my preferred uh, method of delivery for peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, you, you just got me hooked on them. But I, I got to say, funny. I am jealous of your $8 water. For those of you who joined us Ooh, uh, last uh, Saturday night on our Twitter Spaces Live instant reaction, we talked for about half hour with some, with some folks. Adam talked about this $8 water that was apparently tremendous. <laughs> so I got to look for it. Well, it's just a gimmick. I mean, it's a total gimmick. So it's it's called Aquapana. And if you've ever been to like an Italian restaurant or just, I don't know, a place where they run out of water. They, they always run out of water in Florida during hurricanes and like, the most expensive water is left. Well, I'm in a hotel room, so it's probably like a $4 bottle of water jacked up to $8. It's a liter of water, not a liter of cola, a liter of water. And it was $8, but it's a glass bottle that you have to, you literally, they gave you a bottle opener so you can crack the, the top of it uh, like a beer bottle because you just can't, it's on a twist or anything. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous, but it's Italian water made by Nestle. For some reason it exists. Uh, it's really good, but it's also a Nestle product, so that's a whole another story. But look, we're not, we're not here to talk about Uncrustables. We're really not here to talk about beer or water. We're here to talk professional wrestling. And the way we do that is instant analysis style. We have so much to talk about from the two nights of WrestleMania 37. As I said, 14 matches, a ton of crazy things that went down. And we normally don't do the show this way, but we're going to have to break it up. So let me explain to you. Let's get into it. The format of... WrestleMania 37 instant analysis. Normally what we do, we talk about the most important matches down to the least important matches. Simple, right? This card was so big, so much happened that we've decided we're going to start by sliding into the main event. And the main event is going to consist of the four major world championship matches, two from the men, two from the women. After we go through those, we're going to break down the rest of night one in basically descending order by what we feel like is the most important. And then the rest of night two. So that's the order we're going to do it. We're going to have timestamps. So if you want to hear a take or re-listen to a take on a certain match, you'll be able to do that in the timestamps in our description. But hopefully you're listening to the entire show. That's the entire point of the incident analysis. So Chris, it is time to get into the WWE WrestleMania 37 instant analysis. And we're going to get started, of course, with the main event of night two, the Universal Championship triple threat match between Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan. There was an incredible video package, as almost all of them were for most of the matches across WrestleMania. Edge came out. His pyro was insane. Great, (laughs) great reaction from the crowd. Reigns and his crew all came out in lays, and he got sick pyro as well. But still, the Roman Reigns Universal Champion head of the table pyro was like one third of Edge's pyro. Edge had like, if you took Cody's pyro and then doubled it and then doubled it again, that was Edge's pyro. Like it just was, it was the most sick thing ever, but it was great. He looked great. It was a big moment for him. WWE celebrating that he was in that position. You know, obviously he didn't get the opportunity to do all the things he wanted to do in the past year. And now he has this really big moment. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, As far as the match, because that's really what we're here to talk about. This is a long match. A lot happened. So I'm going to break it down in parts, Chris. I'm going to let you jump in when possible. Uh, Jey Uso starts off. This guy is not even in the match. He's at ringside. Immediately super kicks 
Brian and Edge ringside and commentary reminded us right away, triple threat matches are by definition no disqualification. Edge bodied Reigns between the ring apron and barricade like six times and then took Jay out with the DDT on the steel step. So because of that, Jay got helped to the back. Brian and Edge had a great wrestling segment going one-on-one and the crowd popped really big for Brian. Reigns came to, took out Brian and went after Edge, who countered a Superman punch into a DDT. Reigns countered a spear with a Superman punch and Edge countered a spear into a sunset flip for a near fall. Then Reigns and Edge speared each other in the shoulder and commentary didn't really sell it that well. Like they didn't sell the big deal of these guys spearing each other simultaneously. They just said, oh, they had the same idea. I was like, no, they did the spear at the same time. And that's right. what happened. So I, I thought that should have been a little bit, you know, more intense, but the crowd loved it. Starts chanting. This is awesome. Brian flew in with flying headbutts and yes, kicks on both men. Reigns dodged the last one and edge ate a running knee. Brian kicked Reigns for a near fall. Brian then got the yes lock on Reigns and he was screaming bloody murder as Edge broke it at the very last moment. Brian then put the yes lock on Edge, and Rain saved it, pummeling Brian with forearms and elbows. And to me, that extended moment when Brian got beat down, it felt like if he was going to win the match, like that was the segment, the moment where it would have happened. And once that ended, and they kind of moved back into the three of them, Chris, I believed that Brian was no longer an option to win the match. Yeah, I mean, well, first going back to those entrants, I thought Edge was going to win when he got that insane pyro. <laughs> right. I was like, I was like, that's a championship win type pyro. So, so that had me in there. The fans booed Roman on his entrance, which was awesome. That was one of the things I was most looking forward to. What their reaction was, and we'll get into more of that what that reaction was later. But that was great. And and yeah, and Daniel Bryan starts off. You know, gets punched very very first, uh, right when the bell rings, Roman clocks him. So they did a good job of setting things up because a lot of times these triple threat matches become one-on-ones while one guy waits on the outside. I thought they cycled that in and out well. Jey Uso played a role in that. Um, I don't, I've said this before, I don't like the triple threat matches are no DQ because why wouldn't you have something like Jey Uso happen all the time? So the fact that they were able to beat him down and send him to the back, I think, kind of acknowledge that part of the story while allowing them to do stuff like chairs and, and, and the other stuff they got into. So yeah, it, I, I, I guess there wasn't really a moment I thought Brian was going to win, but if it was going to happen, it was right up to that moment you were just talking about. Right. And obviously this match went way longer than that, but it felt like, you know, generally in a triple threat match, everyone gets their run. And once their run passes, they're no longer going to win, right? Like, or right. at least not that it's impossible, but in your eyes as a wrestling observer, you're like, oh, yeah, that was his chance. And now they're going to move on. So let's keep going with the match. Reigns powerbomb Brian into edge. Then there were f- suddenly, finally, almost Roman sucks chance. They started right before Reigns stood on top of the steel steps outside and powerbombed Brian through the announce table. Edge then speared uh, Reigns off the steps from out of nowhere. Edge put Reigns in a crossface. Basically, it's the same move as the yes lock, which was great booking because he saw Reigns tap from it to Brian. And therefore, he's like, well, I know that he's susceptible to this. I'm going to put him in it. That's how I'm going to win. Reigns ultimately broke it. So Edge used a piece of a broken chair he had used just moments earlier to pull Reigns backwards (laughs) by his mouth. And... I was looking directly at like that steel bar in his mouth 
there was no give. Like he wasn't not doing it. You know what I mean? Like he was no. legitimately wrenching him back with that bar. Brian ran in, caught Rain's arm as he was about to tap, and then put him in the yes lock from the other side of his body. Chris, this was an absolutely insane spot. Like we have seen great wrestling, like booking and storytelling before. And we've seen one person have a submission and then another person put the other side of their body in on a submission. But the way this looked with Reigns trapped between these two guys was, and, and the faces that all three of them were making was absolutely insane. Edge and Brian start headbutting each other with Reigns basically dead body right between them. Reigns won the headbutt battle and beat the shit out of Edge. I really think that that moment was an all-time wrestling spot. Like yeah, you will see that yeah. in highlight reels and it will be referred back to for ages. Yeah, that's an image that you'll remember from this show. And and when, first when Roman had the the piece of chair in his mouth, you could tell he was using his lips got to protect those denture those, those uh, <laughs> veneers that he, veneers, that he got yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. Got to protect the teeth. It, it it reminded me of uh Triple H Batista a couple years back with with the screwdriver making kind of the weird cross-eyed face. It was great. It was awesome. And then Brian coming in and adding on the the yes lock fit the story because this whole story was Edge saying this is my moment and Dana Bryan just mm -hmm. come, keeps coming in and trying to take it from me. So what happens when Edge is about to have Roman tap out? Dana Bryan comes in and takes it from him. That was an incredible spot, well executed by everybody. And then the way Roman, the fact that Roman got out of it because they had to fight each other was just perfect. Brian did it like three different times during the match, to your point, that Edge seemed to have Reigns beat. And there's Brian breaking yep. up a pinfall, joining in a submission. It was great. It was honestly fantastic storytelling. So that segment that of the match ends and the crowd is going absolutely bonkers. It was the third or fourth time already to that point that they were chanting, this is awesome. And they were 100% right. It was awesome. Brian held his arms, uh, his being Edge, and stomped on his neck. Edge countered the running knee with a spear, then dodged Reigns' Superman punch with a spear. And you're thinking, okay, that's it. Edge is going to win this match. Like, I thought yep. that was the finish, yep. right? In every possible way. Instead, to your point, what you just said, Brian pulled the referee out of the ring right as he was about to count to three. Edge lost his <laughs> mind. He was incensed. It was incredible emotion and character work from him, which led to Edge grabbing a bunch more chairs. And I kind of thought, Chris, I mean, in the moment, I didn't have the same thought about Edge. So we just talked about Brian when his kind of opportunity came and went. I thought, okay, there's no way Brian's winning. I didn't have that same thought with Edge here, but you know what? I should have because it was really the exact same thing. Brian got his moment earlier and Edge got his moment here. And Brian pulling the referee out of the ring basically ended that run for Edge. I, I mean, now looking back on it, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think that at the time, um, but that's just how much no, they I didn't either. Me in. That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. This was a match where I, maybe it was maybe I was just pessimistic about Brian, and I wasn't pessimistic about Edge in that regard. Maybe I, I just this was a match where I tried not to look at Twitter on my computer too much. I was completely sucked into the story they were telling here, and I was living and dying with all the, the 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 finishers, the near falls, the submissions. I felt like at any moment this match could end here. And it was an awesome feeling. Yeah. So Edge grabs those chairs. He unloads about a half dozen chair shots on Brian and Reigns. He looks psychotic. 
he set Reigns and Brian both up for the concerto, putting chairs under their heads, and followed through on Brian. And Brian sold this concerto mm. as well, if not better than anyone ever has. He convulsed from it, but he didn't do it in a way where he's like flopping around on the mat like The Rock might do or someone like that. He just ever so slightly would like shake a leg or move his torso or like he it was I've the sales job from Brian on this concerto was incredible. And he did it from the moment that Edge hit him with it through the finish of the match, which is absolutely incredible. So Edge follows through with it on Brian. And then suddenly Jay Uso runs back in before Edge can do it to Reigns. Edge speared Jay and beat him with a chair. Reigns immediately popped up and speared Edge, but didn't cover him. Instead, Reigns grabs the chair, uses Edge's own concerto against him, and then drags his lifeless body on top of Daniel Bryan and straddles both of them for the double pinfall to retain the Universal Championship. Holy oh. shit. Nobody. This was, Chris, it was epic. It was all time. It was perfect. This was Roman Reigns finally, a half decade later, being crowned. Not as WWE or Vince McMahon specifically wanted. He's not a super babyface, the next John Cena. He's not a Stone Cold Steve Austin anti-hero or anything like that either. He's an incredible all-time heel. This was a coronation of Reigns becoming the man that he always should have been in WWE, but WWE fought tooth and nail to kind of prevent him from becoming until the situation presented itself. And while I would have lost my mind if Brian won, that's who I wanted to win. You may have lost your mind if Edge won. We both said that it would make an absolute ton of sense for Roman Reigns to be the one going over. Roman Reigns went over, and doing so solidified him as a heel even that much more because he beat the fan favorite, your favorite wrestler in Daniel Bryan. He beat a guy who not only came back from neck surgery that said he would never wrestle again, but an injury this past year, and he had his... Big WrestleMania moment. Well, I forgot what it was. What, 10 years from the day he retired or whatever, seven years, whatever the hell it was. Yeah, 10 years to the day that Edge retired and, was this main event. And he beat him with his own concerto move. And he did it on the biggest stage in wrestling. You're mad? Good. You're getting worked. That's the point. Chris, I effing loved it. The crowd was incredible. The entire time. I understand if people wanted Brian to win, if they wanted Edge to get his WrestleMania moment. I understand all of it. But dude, we said it on the ultimate preview. This was the prime opportunity for WWE to put Roman Reigns over as strong as they possibly could in the way that they had failed to do so many times. And it may not have been as a face. Instead, it was as the most dastardly, evil, contemptible heel that you could ask for going over Daniel Bryan and Edge 
in the main event of the first WrestleMania or the first uh, WWE show with fans in a calendar year due to a global pandemic. What the hell else do you want? We can talk about details and things people said and, and all that stuff going on from now, Chris. But that's how I feel. This was all time. I popped huge. Good for WWE. Good for Vince McMahon. Good for Roman Reigns. Good for Edge. And good for Daniel Bryan. That is the most badass looking image and finish. Maybe in the history of professional wrestling. The main event of WrestleMania, he's pinning two guys at the same time. We have never seen that before. That that was absolutely unbelievable. Th- there were several times during night two when I let out, when I just loudly said in my living room, I just, oh, fuck. And that was one of them. <laughs> that was the ultimate just like, oh, my God, they actually did it. This is what we said. I picked Edge to win. I said I wanted Dan O'Brien to win, but I said Roman Reigns should win. And I didn't think they'd have the testicular fortitude to go ahead and do it and to fully establish Roman Reigns as the guy. I didn't think they would take away Edge's moment uh, that he's come back from two injuries to get to. But they did it. They they have firmly, 100%, forever and ever established Roman Reigns as the guy. And let me throw in one last plug for a story I did last week on Roman Reigns. Playing football at Georgia Tech, I talked to him uh, last week. I talked to his You're team plugging your coaches. story during the instant analysis. I am plugging my story. So top Come my Twitter account. Go back and read that story. But Roman Reigns has reached God status now with that yeah. finish. No, you're right. And I mean, look, some of the tweets that you guys sent, like, do you listen to this show? Like, I'm not saying you do not have to agree with everything I say or Chris says. You don't have to agree with most things I say. In fact, disagreeing is great. Like, it's totally cool. But I got a tweet here. I'm not even going to read the guy's name because, I, I mean, he follows us, but I've never seen him before. And I don't know if he's actually a listener. What? Epic? How? Explain. They ruined the main event. Horrible. Who thought it was a good idea to close WrestleMania with outside interference? Bush League, you'd expect that at the end of a SmackDown in July. I'm sorry, didn't The Rock interfere at the end of a WrestleMania to allow, I mean, not on purpose, but allow Miz to retain a title? Haven't we seen interferences at WrestleMania forever? Uh, dude, dude, Jordan what, Reed, what, you. What is, the, what is considered the greatest WrestleMania of all time? WrestleMania 17. And how did that end? Go that ended it. with outside interference. I know people didn't necessarily like the finish, but the greatest WrestleMania of all time had outside interference. You can do it. It fits the character. It's the heel winning. That's why. It, that's why. It yeah, happened. the heel won. Like like Jordan Reed at Jordan Reed Nine. Now this is a long time listener. And again, I'm not crapping on you, Jordan. I'm just reading your tweet and kind of saying it here. Jay Uso comes in for the dusty finish yet again. Seen at every pay per view since he stopped fighting with Roman. That's just, that, I'm sorry, dude. That's the point. He's the right-hand man. They established it. He came down to ringside with him. He shouldn't have been there in the first place, but Roman Reigns has the clout where Jey Uso is allowed there. He gets what he wants. He has Paul Heyman. That's the story. Now, Chris, I will say the one thing that surprised me because I did tweet you about this, I thought this was going to be the Jimmy Uso return. It made, it was perfectly set up. Jay is taken out. Reigns doesn't have any help. He's about to get concertoed. Oh my God, Jey Uso's, wait, that's not Jey Uso. It's Jimmy. Now, look, I don't know about Jimmy's health. The Based on what we all thought, he should have been back 
a couple months ago at this point or, or any month at this point coming down now. So I think he's cleared. Maybe he's not. And then if he's not, then that totally makes sense. But if he was cleared, I make that the Jimmy Uso return. And that's a shocking finish. And, and all the Usos are celebrating with Reign, the tribal chief at the end of WrestleMania. But okay, I'm going on and on about that. That doesn't really matter. Um, here's the truth. It established firmly, more definitively than anything else WWE could have ever done. Roman Reigns, the character, the tribal chief, the head of the table, is a piece of shit. This is a contemptible heel that you should never even consider cheering for. Because even if he's cool, and even if you're starting to like him, he just beat your favorite wrestler and your favorite returning wrestler, both of whom were you know previously retired and thought they would never wrestle in a WrestleMania main event again. And Roman Reigns, he didn't just beat him. He stacked them on top of each other and beat their asses. So like, I'm not, listen, folks, I am not trying to carry WWE's water. If you're a new listener to the show, look, the truth is we criticize WWE up and down, especially Raw, but anything that we don't like, we talk about it honestly on this show. And there's going to be things about this WrestleMania, Chris, that I'm going to criticize harshly, and you probably will as well. But criticizing this? No, no, that's not happening. No, this was great. This was all time, Chris. This was an A+. This was a five-star match, maybe more than five stars. I don't care that there was an interference finish. This was incredibly wrestled. It was incredibly well-booked. It was paced exceptionally. This was an all-time WrestleMania match and an all-time WrestleMania main event. The references, the callbacks, the one-upsmanship from each guy. This is a match that I will watch over and over again because there's so much that I didn't see the first time I watched it. I I see people tweeting other things about this. And I just don't know what you want. Do you want, do you expect, I should say, WWE to be New Japan, where every match is somewhere between 25 and 40 minutes and you get super clean finishes? That has never been what WWE wrestling is about. Never. This is what WWE wrestling is about. This was a great freaking main event. It deserves the praise. And honestly, I think I did a good job, but I don't even know that I did it justice. Uh, so only 22 minutes for this match. It felt long. That's insane. It felt like 35. So much, so much happened. And honestly, the same with Bianca and Sasha, which we'll get into. Both main events felt like they were long because so much happened, but they were actually quite short compared to normal WrestleMania main event standards. So yeah, this is absolutely a match I'm going to go back and watch uh, <laughs> tomorrow, you know, as, as soon as I can when we're done recording, whatever it is. Yeah, I, I mean, like... It, uh, an outside interference. There's a difference between like when Jinder Mahal was champion, he and he could only win when the the Bollywood boys interfered and got him out of a bad situation. Roman is still dominant. The outside interference is just the um, the in case of glass break emergency type of thing. Of course, so, so that's what it was. He still looks like a 100 percent badass coming out of this. It's not like Jey Uso, you know, low blowed a guy and he got the finisher or something like that. He he saved Roman and the Roman took care of business. And, and the reason I said Roman should have won this match is because he has been since, since he came back, he has been the best thing in professional wrestling. He has been the most interesting character, the best guy on the mic, the guy that when he's on my TV, I stop everything I'm doing and I see what he is doing. And I, he deserved to have that moment to be a shitty, he, a, 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 a dirty heel in front of fans one of the things I was most looking forward to coming into the show was, is Roman going to be cheered or is he going to be booed? 
Because I was wondering, are fans, are they going to be kind of smarky fans who respect the job he's doing and they'll boo with him? Or will they they like that he's finally the cool bad guy and cheer him? No, he got booed on those entrances. They got Roman Sucks chants during the match and he was leaning into it. He could finally lean into those Roman Sucks chants that he's been hearing for several WrestleManias and he enjoyed the hell out of it. And this win cements that status as the heel, as the top heel, the top guy, the top player of this generation. Yeah, Chris, you completely nailed it there. You did say something that I want to briefly break off into a second topic. we got a lot more to talk about, but I, I don't want to forget to go back to this. Somehow, it felt like, uh, let's say 75% of matches across, across both nights of WrestleMania felt too short. Like, for some reason, every match felt like it was, depending on the level of match, between five minutes and 10 minutes too short. It's like barely anything went over 20 minutes. And again, I don't need 30 minute, 40 minute classics, you know, mat wrestling technician, no spot type work rate things every single time. But I do like a, a meaty main event. You know, I like a main event that goes 25, 30 minutes, you know, and, and gets to that next level. And I'm not saying that either of the top two main events, the SmackDown main events, basically, were diminished by being shorter. But both felt like they had a little more in them. And many other matches felt like they had five more minutes in them. But I just got a feeling, again, 75% of the matches across both shows, that they were all too short. And look, both WrestleManias ended after 11 o'clock, one probably maybe a little bit due to the weather delay. This one was, was booked. There were seven matches on each show. I think doing seven matches in three hours when you add in video packages and storylines between matches, yeah, you're you're going to have to keep them relatively short. And it kind of makes me wonder, maybe WrestleMania should have gone a little bit longer both nights, an additional 30 minutes. That way you can sprinkle that time around those matches. But I am just wondering, you know, kind of briefly here, even though I just spoke about it extensively, do you agree with me that most of the matches across both nights felt slightly short or felt that they could have gone a little bit longer? So I, I've seen a couple of people on Twitter make this case. And if you add up the two shows, not counting the rain delay, it was still probably shorter than a typical one night WrestleMania. They go seven or eight hours. So I had been thinking, hey, they're going to split into two nights and give everybody a lot more time. That ended up not being the case. They, they followed what they have been doing through much of this pandemic, which is keeping the pay-per-views short and sweet. And honestly, I loved it. I, I had no problem with with these matches going the lengths that they did. The main events, yeah, they probably could have gone a little bit longer and I, I would have enjoyed it. But there wasn't really, I, I mean, I guess maybe Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn too, but there wasn't much where I was like, oh man, I wish that was longer. I was just in the mood of, like the adrenaline was just flowing from start to finish. I never felt like I was down. I never felt like I was dead. Um yeah, I, I, it not, was start to once. finish. It was it was going hundred miles an hour from the very beginning, and personally, I really liked it. I, I liked the shorter matches. Yeah, not once on either show was I bored or wondering when it was going to end, and that's stuff that happens at WrestleMania where you're like, "Oh my god, this thing's dragging!" Right? No, I was energized for two consecutive shows, and that leads me into this other topic. And I promise we're going to get to the rest of the main event matches momentarily, but this all kind of stems from this SmackDown match here, this uh, Universal Championship triple threat, I saw some people tweeting me, longtime listener, very 
good loyal listener Bradley at Ginger Ninja 0420. He wrote, it saved night two. Like this match saved night two. Am I living in an alternate universe here? Like, I I don't know what people are smoking. Was everyone stuck in a room with (laughs) RVD and Riddle like during the show? Night two of this WrestleMania, I'm not going to say it was equally as good as night one, but I think it was or, or it wasn't any worse where you would say that the main event saved it any more than Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair quote unquote saved night one. Like it, it's it's equivalent to me. I think people were so excited by Banks and Belair in the main event in night one. They forget like we had that women's tag team turmoil match that dragged. We had the raw tag team championship that whether you thought it was good or bad, it wasn't it was not exceptional in any way. You had the Shane McMahon Braun Strowman match that had an interesting finish, but largely dragged as well. What was so I mean, there was a lot of really good stuff on night one. There was a lot of really good stuff on night two. What was so exceptional about night one that this saved night two? Like, I, I don't I don't no. even I don't even understand where it comes from. Yeah, I, I don't understand the people who didn't care for night two or whatever. I, the, the problem was. And we'll get into it later on the show. The, the start of night two was not, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. The first two matches was not fir- a good start to the show, and it put some folks in a bad mood. And some That's people I, I don't think was. ever got out of it. And then they capped it off with Dan O'Brien not winning. I assume those people wanted Dan O'Brien to win, and it kind of put a damper note on it. But you know I completely I, disagree with. That. I mean, the show started poorly, but overall, night two was tremendous. I think that's what it was because you know what? I'll sometimes when we're doing our like recaps and stuff. I'll watch Raw and be so angry at the first hour of the show that even when it gets to hour two and hour three, like I look for positive things to say, but I'm just in such a bad mood that I'm watching three hours of bad television that it affects the way I review the entire show. But I understand if you don't like the opening match or maybe even the opening two, although I like the women's match. We'll talk about that later. Um, But if that affected what you thought about the US title match and the IC title match and the Raw women's match and the main event, how did the main event save night two when the three matches that preceded it were all barn burners? Like, yep. you know, you may not like the booking necessarily, but they weren't bad by any means. I don't know if like people were comparing this to NXT where they're like, man, night one was so exceptionally strong that night two just couldn't compare to it. No, night one was not exceptionally strong. It was good. And guess what? Night two was good. And maybe they were different levels of good. Maybe one was uh, an A in someone's book and the other was a B plus or a, a straight B. But I mean, I don't think the main event saved night two. When I tonight enjoyed uh, tonight, we're taping this on Sunday. I enjoyed this night just as much as I did last night. Like I, I thought these were both great nights of wrestling. Yep. Totally. Both are great. I, I feel energetic and excited coming out of both of them. Now, the one thing I'll also say is because we did want to get to this match right off the top. I forgot to read the pre-show poll. I also forgot to tweet the pre-show poll uh, before WrestleMania started. So really quick, before we get into the Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair match, I just want to give everyone a little starting point. Okay, we always do a pre-show poll. We send it out, get responses to know what people are expecting from WrestleMania. What kind of quality of show do they expect? This is how it came in, Chris. 34% 34% expected an A, 60% expected a B. Hmm. That's 94%. That's NXT yeah. numbers. And people were expecting that for WrestleMania, but really it was 60% a B, 4.8% a C, and 1.6% a D or F. And you know what? I'll accept those. I normally throw out the Ds and Fs because it's ridiculous to say that. But you know what? The build was not exceptional. There were a lot of really good matches that we knew were on the card. 
But the build was not strong for WrestleMania. So for some people, maybe they felt it wasn't going to be very good. But okay, that's it. I just wanted to make sure we, I read that pre-show poll. Do you have any thoughts about that before we move on? Uh, my pre-show grade was much higher. I expected a lot. I'm surprised considering the run of pay-per-views WWE has been on that so many people had it um, as a C. But was your pre-show grade a B plus or an A minus? Were we both at the A minus? I forgot what we you were. were. I think you were B plus. I was A minus. Okay. So that's where we stood. I was B plus. He was A minus. But okay. Th- enough of all that. Let's get back to the matches. And we're going to go matches all the way through the rest of the show. The main event of night one. You've been waiting for us to talk about it. I know. The SmackDown Women's Championship. Sasha Banks defending against Bianca Belair. Their entrances, holy crap, were fantastic. I'd have liked some pyro, but the crowd did the job instead. They both got a huge ovation that almost brought them to legitimate tears standing in the ring before the bell. I admit I'm not afraid of my emotions. It got me a bit too. Like you felt the moment. I'm not black. I'm not a woman. I'm just a wrestling fan and someone who appreciates and has interviewed, to be fair, both of them. I know what this meant to them. You've heard it, even if you are not someone who's interviewed them, you've heard them say it publicly in interviews, and they've talked about it, and it's been written about ad nauseum. You knew that was a big moment, and you felt like it was a big moment. Um, it was exceptional. I don't, I, I don't remember the last time I had that feeling at the start of a wrestling match. Maybe Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair. Chris, like, can you ever remember feeling... Well, I don't know if you felt the same way, but can you ever remember like an audience or a match getting a reaction that was emotional and not pure adrenaline before it even began. I'm trying to think. I don't remember what the WrestleMania 35 main event uh, reaction it wasn't was like. like. That. I know the crowd was dead tired at the time, but obviously. It yeah, so I was there. So let me just clarify. So yeah. I was there. It was not emotional like that. Yeah. People were really excited. But what you have to remember about that is there were three really long, drawn out entrances. Right. And it was super late. And that feud was not built on history. I mean, it was. They talked about it all the time. But it was more built on intensity, like Becky and Rhonda hating each other. That was not really what this was about. This was almost about, hey, this is an epic main event. It's going to be historic. And, you know, it's just going to be a really good wrestling match. And that's kind of how I felt. It felt to me, whether intentional or not, that the crowd, when the crowd rose and and recognized that Banks and Belair were in their feelings, the response they gave them, like, yeah, we're here with you, I, that's wrestling. Like, that's really special. I don't know what other medium you can really get that type of response. Yeah, I, I, it, it's hard to compare, I, like, a football game, a hockey game, basketball game. The things start with you know, the, the game starting, you don't kind of stand there when the game starts, but that was a really cool moment. Yep. Yeah. I mean, maybe the last time I felt like that, I was in the crowd at the 2019 masters when tiger won. Yes. That's a little Barry Horowitz. Um, uh, I, that's maybe the last time, like I felt emotion like that, but it was totally different. That was joy. This was just like, this is something important that's happening. So whatever. I thought it was exceptionally cool. Let's get to the match. Uh, there were a ton of counters both ways early, including Belair rolling into catching banks on a tope suicida. Vertical pressing her, walking up the stairs, and throwing her in the ring. Oh. Uh, Banks used Belair's braid as leverage, and Belair caught the champion off the top rope with a vicious slam. Then Belair used Banks, grabbing her braid to drive her into the steps and ring post. Belair countered an inside cradle 
into a gut wrench vertical suplex, bouncing Banks off the ropes twice and pressing her thrice for a slam. Her strength is just ridiculously impressive. Banks kept failing uh, when she was trying to use Bianca Belair's braid. Belair hit an insane standing shooting star press and then a glam slam. Banks got her knees up to counter a beautiful 450 by Belair. Belair then came back with two power bombs and a jackknife cover for a 2.8 and a really creative kickout. Then Banks countered a third with an X Factor. Banks did a springboard tornado DDT that was totally sick and came out of nowhere. Banks turned a planned meteora into a frog splash for a near fall and threw Belair into the steel steps. Banks then wrapped Belair's braid around her arm and shoulder for a submission and turned that into the bank statement until Belair athletically broke it. Banks stomped Belair's head, holding her by the braid. Banks caught Belair in the tree of woe, missed the double foot stomp, and then missed a meteora into the bottom turnbuckle when Belair moved. Belair then came back and nailed the 450 on Banks that Banks couldn't hit on her, but flipped out after a 2.9 count as the champ kicked out like perfectly. Sasha kicked out like right before that hand hit the mat. Banks then flipped out of the KOD, but lost a tug of war with Bianca Belair's braid, eating a massive braid slap to the stomach Mm. that left a huge, I don't know if it was a welt or a cut or a bruise, but just absolutely destroyed Sasha Banks midsection. They countered finishers twice more, and Belair finally hit the kiss of death for the one, two, three, and the incredible win to become the new SmackDown Women's Champion. She celebrated. Her family went absolutely wild. Her father almost climbed over the barricade. Fireworks went off. It was an incredible sight. We found out later after the show, Sasha Banks was sitting at ringside, like with a shitting grin on her face, knowing what she had just accomplished. We found out after the show went off the air, Montez Ford ran to the ring, <laughs> lifted her on his shoulders. Forget all of that stuff, the extra stuff. This match, Chris, was everything I wanted and more. Seriously, it was everything I wanted and more. Could it have gone like we just discussed in additional five minutes? Would it have been a little bit more epic if it did? Yes. Does that take away at all from anything that we saw in the ring on Saturday night? It does not. You have an all-time WrestleMania main event in Roman Reigns, Edge, and Daniel Bryan, and you had an all-time WrestleMania main event in Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. This is maybe like 4.75 star match. It's an A+. Just so, so, so good. It it was perfect. It's exactly what it needed to be. And, you know, the point of this match was to make Bianca look like a star. And that means military press. That means the hand, the whip. That means uh, picking her up uh, for for the powerbomb. And you don't need Bianca Belair to go 40 minutes to make her look like a star. You need to have a bunch of spots to make her look like a physical marvel to make her a star. And that's exactly what they did. So could it have gone maybe five more minutes? Sure, but I would not have gone much longer than that. I, I rewatched that match again today. We're recording Sunday. I rewatched it again. And man, mm-hmm. it flew by both times. Yeah. Seven, yeah. 17 minute match felt like felt like less than that because it was just so much action all the time. She looked like nonstop. She looks like a million bucks coming out of that. Sasha did a great job with everything as well. Honestly, Sasha had a very strong match. And I know we obviously we have all the focus on Bianca rightly so, but Sasha did a hell of a job too. And and uh, we can't forget the great year that she had in 2020 and her reign as champion was really good too. So shout out to Sasha Banks. This match was everything it needed to be. 
just just an incredible moment at the beginning, incredible moment at the end. Love the pictures of Montez Ford. Love the pictures of Bianca Belair standing on the the guard the guard rail or whatever, looking out at the crowd. They clearly loved having fans there to to do that in front of. And man, Bianca Belair from the from the very beginning, you knew she was going to be a star. And I was upset that they didn't give her that star moment at Survivor Series. I mm-hmm. wanted her to be the lone survivor and, and and that push her forward. They held off, but they give her the Royal Rumble. They give her the WrestleMania, one of the main events. Tremendous, tremendous, perfect, perfect. I can't say anything, anything better than than what those two women did. Then it was it was perfect. I think it was the it was the greatest women's wrestling match in WWE history. I would say. Yeah. So it's I I've been trying to think about that, and we can close on this for this match and move on here. Um, because we just have so much to talk about. I could talk about this for two hours. Honestly, I could just talk about Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair for two hours. Uh, I was trying to think, is it the greatest women's wrestling match in WWE? And and I think there's a lot of cases to be made for it, especially if you take out NXT and you focus on the main roster. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it is. I would really have to actually go back and think about it and look through it. There's been some really great women's matches. Honestly, the TLC match with... Uh, Becky Lynch and Oscar and Charlotte Flair is like criminally underrated. Mm-hmm. It was it was honestly incredible. And there have been some great matches with Charlotte and Becky and um, sorry, uh, Sasha Banks and Bailey have had great matches. I mean, Oscar's had great matches with them. Oscar and Sasha Banks had a couple incredible matches this past year. But I think when you if you're going to grade and rate matches in the five star system or whatever you want to use, obviously I, get, I think I gave this four point seven five, but I could really be convinced to give it five and I have not rewatched it. And when I do, I might give it five stars. Sometimes when you're rating matches and every time when you're rating matches, I'm sorry, not sometimes it is not just like the work rate and the finish. It's the story. It's why a match like the Roman Reigns, Daniel Bryan edge match may have a schmaz type of interference finish, but the story is so strong that it completely outweighs, you know, how it ends and the crowd and the atmosphere and the intensity and the integrity and the intelligence. No, I don't mean that. Um, but the intensity and the fan reaction and the moment, some of these things just overwhelm. And when you look at a match like the greatest wrestling match ever, the Edge and Randy Orton match, you're like, damn, that was really well wrestled. It was also in an empty performance center and it was pre-taped. And then you look at the main event of WrestleMania, both of them, the women's one and the and the men's one, and you're just like, man, that that's exceptional. Um, you can't compare these matches to Okada Omega. These are different, different companies, different wrestlers, different stories, different crowds, and I think that these two matches did for the WWE crowd what an Okada Omega match or an Ibushi. Uh, Okada match or Ibushi Naito match, I'm saying NJPW here obviously, does for that crowd. I think it got people, both of these matches got people to go apoplectic. And that's what you want. The whole point of wrestling is to make the fans really, really happy or work them into being really, really angry. And WWE in the main event of two nights of WrestleMania accomplished what they have many times failed to accomplish in one night of WrestleMania. And if you don't see that and realize that, then you, I don't know how you enjoy the product at all. 
Yeah, I, I, I saw some people who were, again, shooting on some of the stuff. I, I, I didn't get it. Bianca, Bianca Sasha was a perfect main event to night one. We, we weren't sure going in if it was going to be the main event. They absolutely made the right choice and they absolutely delivered. Now let's talk about those other two main events before we go through all of night one and all of night two. I actually want to talk about next, the Raw Women's Championship, Asuka defending against Rhea Ripley. This was basically the co-main event for night two of WrestleMania. Uh, Ripley got an incredible entrance with a ton of fire, pyro, and a live band. When it started, I will say, and look, I'm no performer. Okay, so I'm not trying to be critical of someone who has talent that far exceeds mine on the <laughs> microphone. But the singer's mic was like way too loud. Maybe it wasn't mixed right. It just sounded completely off that her voice was so distracting. It distracted me from Ripley's entrance and it distracted me from the music. So something to me was wrong with that entrance. I just want to know, Chris, because we didn't talk about it. Am I the only, am I the, on my own here or did you notice that as well? I, I It didn't seem any more distracting to me than Ripley's music always is. <laughs> I mean, her, okay. her entrance music is very different than everybody else. So I to me, the live musical performance did not sound all that different to me again okay. than, than the normal entrance for her. All right. It, it sounded totally different and weird to me, but okay, whatever. That's a minor, minor gripe. Um, it was a sick entrance for Ripley. That's the truth. She looked like an absolute total star. Rhea Ripley has it. She has it. Uh, this was purposely brutal to start with Ripley banging on Asuka while wrapping her legs around the champion. Asuka caught Ripley with a knee bar, but Ripley gut-wrenched her off the ground into a German suplex. There was another released German, and Asuka came back with a couple of hip attacks. Ripley then drop-kicked her off the top rope outside and planted her face first on the ring apron. Asuka hit a modified Tornado DDT off the apron outside on Ripley. It was a crazy move, and they thudded on the mat. And like You heard an audible gasp from the audience when that happened. It was pretty awesome. Uh, there were a bunch of great submission counters back and forth and some really strong mat wrestling between them. And then all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, Ripley catches Asuka with a counter, nails her Riptide finisher, and gets the 1-2-3 to take the Raw Women's Championship. I thought this match was exceptional. It was very well wrestled, nearly as good as Banks Belair, but if you removed the emotion in the storyline. So yeah. if you just look at the wrestling, the technique and the ability and the showcase, the work rate nature of it, I thought it was really close, but it didn't come anywhere near to overtaking it or overshadowing Banks Belair because that was so exceptional in other ways, the emotion, the storytelling, just everything that happened within that match. I thought this was a fantastic moment for Rhea Ripley and a fantastic moment for women's wrestling as a whole. You got on WWE's biggest show of the year, two huge women's championship title changes going from veterans to newcomers in basically the same show. The WWE women's division feels completely refreshed from a main event perspective. We know there's a lot of women on that roster. WWE doesn't think all of them should be champions. They have, not only did they add two women to the roster who can be champions, they made them champions in the same night. This is, again, not Banks, Bel Air, but it was really damn good. I'm going to go with like a 4.5 and an A for this match. I loved it. Yeah, I don't think I'd go that high, but it was it was certainly not bad by any means. It, it was a, a very good match. It felt like they were trying to do 
the exact same thing they were doing with Belair the night before, which was give Rhea Ripley some spots where she looks like an incredible physical specimen, showing off her strength, picking up Asuka in certain parts, falling, you know, falling off the apron and doing and jumping off the top rope at certain times. It felt like they went in saying, we got to give Rhea some really good spots that look great so people will understand how big of a deal she is because she's new to a lot of this crowd. And I think they succeeded. You know, obviously it's not the same moment at the end, but Rhea Ripley looks like an absolute boss coming out of this. Uh, no pun intended, I guess, on, on the Sasha stuff there. But yeah, it, it was, you know, there was not much emotion into the feud because it had only, this was right. like Plan C or something like that as of Louisio. <laughs> they, had, they had to throw this together real quick, so it was only going to reach a certain point, but they beat the crap out of each other, man. In that match, and and Rhea Ripley has her star making moment, just like Bianca. Now, you know they were they were the two finalists at the Royal Rumble. They they are now the face of the women, the faces of the women's division. It's really cool um, the way they put this entire thing together. Again, I just want to clarify one more time in case people misunderstand. I am not saying this was as good as Banks Belair. I'm just saying from a wrestling standpoint, it was exceptionally well wrestled, and Oscar did for Ripley what Banks did for Belair and putting her over. So it was it's very great when it's yeah, it's great when Asuka has someone who can really go and can match her. Yes. Cause then Asuka go because then Asuka's going full out. She almost feels like a different wrestler when she can fully unleash everything she can do. So Asuka was great. And, and it was well. a fresh matchup. I mean it, it was it was so fresh. It was so different. You know how many times we've seen Asuka against Nia Jax, Asuka yeah. against Sasha. And these are not, you know, Asuka and Sasha's. I can watch that every week, like forever, right? But Asuka, Rhea Ripley, like that's something fresh and new. They didn't cross paths in NXT. Like they were in different eras, basically. And it felt like a little bit of a past, uh, a torch passing moment to some degree. It felt like Asuka doing whatever she could to put this woman over. And I think people are really upset. Look, we talked about this in the Ultimate Preview. I said it very matter-of-factly. No matter who WWE booked to win this match, they were screwed with the quote unquote smart fans. Because on one hand, and it was all, it's because they're both victims of Charlotte Flair, and it's, that's because of WWE's own booking. On one hand, you had Rhea Ripley make her WrestleMania debut last year as NXT champion. She lost the title to Charlotte Flair, who really had no business winning the title. Then you have Asuka, who's basically never won at WrestleMania and got victimized by Charlotte Flair, losing her undefeated streak to Flair. At WrestleMania, I believe the one in New Orleans. Now you have them facing each other, and you're like, well, if Asuka loses, she may never get her WrestleMania moment. If Rhea Ripley loses, then this big time woman who you're trying to make into an all, a big time superstar for your company has lost her first two WrestleMania matches. So, yes, they did not, WWE did not plan for this to be a WrestleMania match. Right. I guarantee, without knowing for sure, that Ripley was supposed to debut tomorrow night on Raw. She was not supposed to debut before WrestleMania. Clearly, the booking was Lacey Evans and Flair. Lacey got pregnant. Then it was Flair and Asuka. Then they, there was a false positive pre pregnancy for Charlotte. And then she actually did get COVID. Uh, so now they're stuck and they have Asuka with no challenger for WrestleMania. And they say, well, you know, we've done a really shitty job building up the other women on the roster. So, okay, let's just debut Rhea Ripley and have her go over. That's what happened. And for that to be the story and for that to be the reality of what happened and for this match to be as good as it was, it's a testament of, to Oscar and Rhea Ripley. I mm -hmm. loved this match. I was exceedingly entertained by it. And yeah, it may not have had the storyline, but it had the wrestling. Yeah. I mean, if you're someone who 
doesn't care for the spectacle and you want just really good wrestling, that's exactly what you got from them. So hats off to, to both ladies. They did a great job. And now the fourth main event match, the WWE Championship, Bobby Lashley defending against Drew McIntyre. This opened WrestleMania. Night one, first match, Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre. Chris, it actually took me, I don't know if you felt the same way, it took me a minute to get used to not watching the Thunderdome. It was wide open, not as loud, and it was a bit jarring at first. And it did take me like, I don't know, like three to five minutes into this match to almost get my own bearings of, yeah, it's quiet and it's whatever, but it's supposed to be like that because there's air between these people and there's not fake fans being pumped into my my speakers. Like it, it did take me a while to get going. Did you feel the same way? Well, I, I always have that feeling the first match of every WrestleMania. You kind of just have to mm. adjust to the like surroundings. So, yeah. yeah. So to, to me, that was the feeling. It was more just, oh, this is first match WrestleMania. I got to get used to the camera angles. I got to get used to what's mm-hmm. in the background. I got to get used to the acoustics. It just takes a minute. So I, I, I'm with you. Okay. Uh, so McIntyre did an up yours gesture to Lashley early, <laughs> which I was very surprised he did that. Uh, McIntyre <laughs> kicked out of a dominator at 2.5 and temporarily had a Kimura lock on Lashley on the top rope. This was way less of a hoss fight than I anticipated it being. I thought, just like you thought, we were getting full on, no pretending. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, all I thought we were getting. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And that's not actually what we got. I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't beef flying in the ring because there was, but there was like a lot of wrestling and like a lot of not necessarily like really technical wrestling, but a lot of moves and a lot of action. Mm-hmm. I thought these guys were going to beat the shit out of each other. Like we got in their first match that got us so amped up for this rematch, but th- that none of that's a complaint. It's just expectation, you know, versus reality. So the other thing that I noticed is the camera cuts were exceptionally crazy because they were trying to sell both of these guys being monsters. But anyway, uh, Lashley countered a Claymore with the almighty Spinebuster. McIntyre kept up. He hit three, not one, not two, three future shock DDTs with Lashley completely limp for the final one, but still only got a flat 2.5. I wish Lashley kicked out of that a bit later. Yeah. Lashley then purposely fell on his back to dodge a Claymore. So McIntyre did a cannonball over the top rope to take out Lashley and MVP. Chris, I'll briefly pause here. When McIntyre hit this cannonball, I was like, that's it. This guy's winning the title. No doubt about it. I mean, I thought Drew was winning... From the beginning, I I, right. I, I had no doubt <laughs> Drew was going to win this match for a whole host of reasons. One of them being the the promo he cut beforehand. Uh, so yeah, no, you're you're right that this wasn't the hoss fight that we got last time. But honestly, the fact that these guys can give us now two great matches, two different kind of mm-hmm. different styles, I think really shows what kind of chemistry they have. Uh, these two guys work really well together. Totally agree. Uh, The rest of the match, McIntyre ate a face buster and Lashley nearly got the hurt lock on him before McIntyre ran him face first into the turnbuckle. Drew then countered a spine buster beautifully, rolling it into a Kamara lock. Lashley sold it incredibly, screaming, nearly tapping two different times before reaching the ropes. McIntyre hit a Glasgow kiss and was ready for the Claymore, but MVP like yelled and distracted him. He saw (laughs) Drew turn his head. Lashley then dodged the Claymore because he had enough time to recover and got the Hurt Lock on McIntyre, slowly fading him down to a knee. McIntyre got up and pushed off the turnbuckle over Lashley. And I thought, okay, now we're getting the Claymore. You know, Lashley's going to get turned around. 
Claymore, one, two, three. Instead, Lashley keeps the hurt lock on McIntyre, brings him all the way down to the canvas, and the referee calls the match. Michael Cole sold it as McIntyre purposely, not tapping out or getting pinned, but passing out. It was a great match, Chris, that I thought got a lot of heat on Lashley. It made him look like an absolute beast while giving McIntyre an out. Drew getting distracted by MVP is something I think he can sell as a stupid, dumb mistake he made in a big match, get down on himself and try to recover. Things like that do happen in real sports. People make mistakes in key situations. So that was a piece of reality there, although you would think he wouldn't just get you know distracted by MVP. The truth is, it was too soon to take the title off Lashley, even if putting McIntyre over in front of a live crowd would have been something I thought was so attractive that WWE could not pass it up. It made all the yep. sense in the world. It was a great, in my opinion, classic WWE championship match with a fantastic, really smart finish. I loved it as an opener. For me, it's a flat four-star match, a B plus, and I was really happy to see Lashley kind of subvert our expectations and win this match. Yeah, it, honestly, it's kind of the same thing as Roman, where a guy who had done a really good job without fans, they decided to cement that with fans instead of giving us the fan favorite moment. The heels won both WWE men's title titles uh, in, in this pay-per-view. That does not typically happen on a WrestleMania. This is usually the pay-per-view for the faces to win. So and not just that, they retained them too. They came in as champions yes, and stayed as yes. champions. Also, I believe those are the only two. Oh, so those are two of the three champions that did retain. There were a lot of title changes on this. On All four men's champions are now heels. Yeah. So I, I, I love it. I, I love that Lashley gets to gets more run with this because he's been great. You talk about the distraction. Honestly, if you're, if you watch pro wrestling, if you're a fan of pro wrestling, you should not get distracted when a guy jumps up on the side of the apron because you know what's happening. A guy simply yelling at you is honestly probably more distracting <laughs> yeah, in the context right. of how wrestling works. You're like, what the, hell are you, what the hell are you yelling for? And then, then boom, they get you. So that, that actually made sense. The only thing I would have changed about the finish is it's not particular to these guys. It's it's more the way WWE does things. I wish they would do you, you, you grab the guy's arm, you hold it up, and he drops it. And it has to happen three times. And if it happens three times, you win the match. Normally at normally at two and a half is when the, the face gets his arm back up and that's the rally. And that's like it's such a easy pro wrestling storytelling trope that WWE's just gotten rid of. They just have the referee well, say it's over. Like you miss that visual, if, you miss that moment. Imagine the build one, two, Roman uh Drew's arms, and then three, it falls there. Whoa, holy crap, I didn't see that coming. Like it, it would give you more of that moment. So I wish WWE, WWE did that, where they they would have the referee hold the arm up as opposed to just tapping a guy, he doesn't respond, and it's over. So here's the deal. I actually agree with that, because, but I think it's because we grew up that way. We grew up with yeah. that being a, a wrestling trope, particularly in WWE. It was their trope, and and that's what our expectation is for matches like this. The truth is, in real combat sports, they don't do that. They see someone knocked right. out, particularly in MMA, they call the match. The other thing to consider right. is the concussion stuff. They're trying to, you know, be very, very careful when it comes to brain injuries and oxygen to the brain and things like that. So if they have someone doing a three arm thing and then they recover and they're allowed to continue the match, even though it's kayfabe and it's fake, 
you know, it, it's kind of sending a not so great message. So I, I, I actually don't know, man. Want... We got we, we got two concertos in the main event of the show. Oh, I know. <laughs> you, can only, you can only you can only you can only talk about protecting brains so much. I think in case I'm just saying, I'm just saying. But a concerto <laughs> is something that happens rarely. This is something that happens frequently. Got so. Right. Again, I'm kind of playing a little bit devil's advocate because I do agree with you and I do I, I get why. Yeah, it. I get it. Yeah. I just wish they – I just think it's a better storytelling tool. So on, on the note that you said about the heel champions, I just thought about it briefly. Uh, there's – out of all the WWE titles, not counting the 24-7 title because who really cares about the 24-7 title? Every champion in WWE coming out of WrestleMania with the exception of one – is a heel. Every men's champion is a heel, and two of three women's champions are heels. It. I cannot remember a WrestleMania. WrestleMania is where the faces go over. I right. did very bad. I did very bad on my predictions, primarily Me because, pri- primarily because I thought a lot of faces would go over because it's WrestleMania and faces always go over. So one of the reasons I think I liked WrestleMania so much, and we'll get into the details, and we're going to talk about all of it extensively as as we keep going on with this show. But WWE did what NXT does so much. They consistently subverted my expectations. I thought we, they were going in one direction. They went in another and many times did it exceptionally well. So I give WWE for those four main event matches that we just talked about. Not one of those was a miss. You may like some of them more than we talked about. You might may like some of them less than we talked about. Maybe there's one that you just didn't care for at all. But I think if you look at those four matches and you put them up against any other four or I guess previously three or two um, world championship slash women's major championship matches on a WrestleMania. I don't know that there's ever been four big matches in a WrestleMania that are better than those four in the same show. Yeah. I I mean, you can make that case certainly, but uh, yeah, they, they really, I I think that was, that's something that sticks out about the show is that they really subverted the expectations. We got a lot of finishes we didn't expect part of that's because the build was not great. And so you didn't have an obvious winner coming in to a lot of these matches, but uh, uh, I like it. It, it sets it, it, it resets everything and we can moving forward, start a bunch of new chases. I, th- I think it's a good reset. You just don't normally get this at WrestleMania. Now, Chris, before we go through all the rest of the matches on the card, we are going to go night one, then night two. Again, all the timestamps will be in our description. So, you know, where to jump if you want or need to. There was another really big story that uh, happened at WrestleMania, and that was the rain delay before night one. Now, I'm not going to get, I have a whole story about the logistics of everything that happened in terms of my being able to watch WrestleMania this entire weekend. Maybe we'll talk about that Tuesday in our weekly WWE episode. Uh, But in terms of what actually happened in WWE in Tampa, I thought the opening of night one was exceptionally interesting and unique. So I thought it was really smart and really cool of WWE to have Vince McMahon open the show on stage with all of the WWE superstars. Literally, the whole locker room was out there, including people not on TV. Now, there are some people I didn't see, like Aleister Black, for example. I didn't notice whether he was there or not. Of course, they did not show the entire stage either. But it was actually emotional to hear the fans react to seeing the wrestlers and the wrestlers getting touched by it. You could see the emotion in their faces. There was a great rendition of America the Beautiful. Rhea Ripley looked like she was going to cry. She's an Australian. 
And I know it's a beautiful song. I know she had some visa issues and maybe she's just really thankful to be here, but it looked like it really touched her. Um, and I just, I love the way they did it with Vince kind of doing, you know, it's WrestleMania. Welcome to WrestleMania or whatever the hell the line is. I just thought, yeah, they can go with pyro. Yeah. They can go with the, you know, uh, sound, uh, not the sound, the video package that, you know, that they always do. Um, there's a million different ways you can open a WrestleMania, the, the host, the co-host, for example, but given it was a pandemic, given it was the first show in a year, I thought what they did was exceptionally appropriate and, and much more memorable than anything else. Yeah, no, it was great. It, it was, um, the, the only thing missing, I think was not playing no chance in hell as Vince comes out. <laughs> I was wondering if that right. was going to be the first music we actually heard. That'd be uh, cool. But yeah. but either way, it, it was it was nice. And we talked about before about how clearly appreciative the wrestlers are to actually work in front of the fans this time. So that was great. It, it was really nice touching setup. It was just a, a little bit weird to go from that into an immediate uh, rain delay. Right. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> um, other other, you know, items I wanted to briefly talk about. The new WWE Forever intro, it's really just a new song and some new videos. But if you remember, the first time they debuted it, it was good. Then they changed it to like the most generic music ever. And the most recent one they've been using, that's been horrible. And now it's back to one that I think is like, oh, you know, it's a normal, good WWE intro. I know it's a minor thing, um, but you love like I, I personally love when you get started watching a show, like it gets you amped up or not. Right. Yeah. And there's some classic WWE intros. Um the most recognized, you know, name in sports entertainment and, and millions of other ones. Uh, and even just like the theme songs of shows matter too, like the old Raw's war intro. Yeah. some of those Ooh. you get pumped up, you know, the pyros coming at the end of the, of the song, like you get really going. So I liked the new intro. Uh, I also wanted to say that WWE did a fantastic job with the cold open playing off of last year's comedic pirate tale. It <laughs> could have gone in a different direction and could have gone serious, but instead they just, kept it up and, and they did it as a continuation because hey look the truth is it was the same theme of the pay-per-view the logo just exchanged i think a flag for a pirate skull otherwise it was the same and it was in the stadium that it was supposed to be the first time so i thought it was pretty smart for them to just kind of continue that and then last but not least and you can comment on all of this the stage we talked about it on the go home show but not a lot of people listen to that not as many people as will listen to this it was truly gorgeous the only thing missing was massive pyro to open the show but we ended up getting that later. Yes. I thought um, the cold open with the Johnny Depp impersonator bit, I thought it was funny. Like it, it, was, it funny. was, it was a good mix of serious, but also like being funny and the wrestlers like reacting like to what he's saying, it not making any, much sense. They did it the same thing the year prior. I thought it was pretty funny last year too. So I, I saw some people kind of just shitting out it for whatever reason. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. It, it, it felt epic they 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 hyped it but then they overhyped it and acknowledged that they overhyped it and then kind of got you back on track i don't know i thought it was creative and funny i really enjoyed it and 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 i like the the then now forever it's definitely better than it was before um and yeah it, it was it was a good way to start uh both shows both nights and of course, then there was a rain delay right after yeah. all of that happens. They 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 get you with Vince. They get you with America the Beautiful. They do the entire intro. They come back and it's commentary. And it's Michael Cole talking about, oh, folks, we have a rain delay. And then you hear Raymond James Stadium announce it over the PA. And I just wonder, you know, 
And there's no answer. So, you know, we didn't even have to go back and forth on it. But like, I wonder, did WWE convince them, hey, just give us 10 minutes, let us knock all this out, and then, and then we'll pause the show? Or yeah. was that really the timing? Like during the intro, the video intro, a Raymond James officials like, hey, we got to call this. Like we got we to gotta move everyone back. The t- I would love to know how that timing actually worked because it was crazy the way it happened. But what I will say is WWE handled it extremely well yep. by running – Promo after promo, jumping back and forth between uh, commentary and backstage. Michael Cole and Samoa Joe and Ponchos was is just an all time like WrestleMania moment. I know it's funny. Uh, there were jokes about hey, God finally got back on Vince McMahon. Um, now it's fifty fifty booking. Like there, and some of those jokes were funny. Uh, some of them weren't, but um, I just thought that through improvisation. WWE accidentally in many ways showed the true talent of their roster and their superstars because almost every promo, some didn't like the Seth one I did. Almost every promo was like top tier improv. There were great segments. They were completely unscripted. It is the opposite of what we get on raw and largely SmackDown as well. Most weeks where it's a scripted pre-taped promo and you kind of roll your eyes and some of the lines are stupid. They just had people take mics and talk. And it's what you see on Raw Talk many times. And guess what? It works. These are human beings. They're talented. They don't need to be scripted, period. Maybe some do because they're still learning. Most of them don't. This was real and raw. It actually added to the intensity of the show starting. The rain delay kickoff show was better than the regular kickoff show. If they did that every single show, kind of in some way, but slightly different from what NXT did ahead of Stand and Deliver, that gets me more hyped up for the pay-per-view than the kickoff show panel with Peter, I like Peter, but Peter Rosenberg and Booker T and Jerry Lawler and Kayla Braxton. Like, that's all fine and good. I don't have a problem with it necessarily, but that was a kickoff show. That got me excited for WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I honestly, when it happened, I had no idea what to expect because I was like, uh, how long is this going to last? How are they going to fill time? I was wondering if they were going to start playing the Austin Jericho interview to, to perhaps just play some content if they couldn't do anything. But instead, like WWE always does, when their backs are against the wall, when they're they're in an unprecedented situation, they respond and react in a positive way that adds to what they're doing you think about that time they had the blizzard way back when uh when, when you there there are shows where people couldn't get to the stadium and something happens they and the saudi arabia thing when everybody got stuck in saudi arabia and they brought up the nxt people up they always make the most of a bad situation and this was a prime example seth rollins promo was great Drew's promo was great. It's, it sounded like Drew was going to break down in tears at one point about how frustrated he was that he wasn't getting this moment. They had a bit of a pull apart with Bobby Lashley. Uh, the New Day stuff was good. Uh, Kevin Owens, they just he takes the mic and like, I'm just going to sit here and talk about my history with Sami Zayn. You could have had Kevin Owens talk for a half hour straight. It kept me compelled if you wanted to do that. Uh, so, yes, these wrestlers are where they are in their careers because they're not just talented wrestlers, but most of them are very talented on the microphone. Let them talk, let them sound like normal people. It makes it easier to connect with them as characters. I really, really hope that one of the takeaways Vince McMahon has from this is not that, Oh, we should have a, we should have a better plan in place 
for uh, scripted <laughs> promos if we have the next time we have a weather delay. No, do exactly what happened here. Let guys talk and girls talk off the cuff. It was really good. And you're right. And once the show got going, I was a little bit more excited than I than I probably would have been otherwise. Absolutely. Now, look, we have a ton more WrestleMania 37 incident analysis to talk about. We're going to break it all down momentarily, but I would be remiss if I did not remind you that promotional consideration for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and we have an exclusive offer for you, the listeners of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, 20% off plus free shipping with the code G. Oh, man, Manscaped is all about protecting men. They hooked us up with their perfect package 3.0, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0. It has a cutting edge ceramic blade that reduces grooming accidents from a lifetime of trimming down low. I can tell you I have never used something this perfectly designed. Also in that package are products that keep your balls dry and smelling fresh, plus a couple of free gifts, including some fantastic boxers and a travel bag. Trim your junk, get 20% off and free shipping with the code GOMAN at manscaped.com. Each purchase directly supports the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. That is why we're giving you 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code GOMAN. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. I'm wearing the boxes right now and they are the most comfortable I've ever had. Legit, I'm wearing them right now. They're great. Your balls. Well, thank you. So with that, let's get to the rest of this WrestleMania instant analysis. And we're going to start with night one. We're going to go through the rest of night one, and then we're going to move on to night two. We got to talk Seth Rollins versus Cesaro. We have to talk about it. Number one bullet point on my uh, on my sheet here. Rollins had a great entrance. Cesaro came out second, which I think says a lot when you're in a match with Rollins. Cesaro hit a corkscrew springboard uppercut and tried to swing right at the beginning, but Rollins hit a buckle bomb and a superplex into a falcon arrow for an early near fall. Rollins countered the swing inventively and athletically. Cesaro did like nine swings and his arm gave out, and Rollins quickly escaped a sharpshooter. Fans chanted one more time, but he didn't really do it. Rollins counted a neutralizer and hit a vertical 360 frog splash. Again, I'm going to repeat that. A vertical... 360 frog splash. He rotated 360 degrees vertically and hit a frog splash. Absolutely insane. My mouth was hanging open watching this happen. Guy's incredible. Rollins is very, very underrated. Cesaro countered a ripcord knee into the neutralizer, his finisher, but Rollins kicks out at 2.8. They countered each other's signature moves over and over again. Rollins hit a pedigree, which really popped the crowd. Only got a 2.8 count. Rollins called himself a god, did his new hook on the leg kick, but Cesaro elevated Rollins off the stomp into a European uppercut, just like Randy Orton did with the RKO move at the WrestleMania, um, forgiving the number where Rollins ultimately won the title. Then Cesaro did the no arm UFO, which is something he said he would do at WrestleMania if he ever got a singles WrestleMania match. He did, and he did the move, followed by the swing 23 times instead of 22 times with a third neutralizer for the win. I have one word for this match. That word is incredible. It was an incredible match. It was an incredible moment. It was an incredible crowd. It was an incredible piece of booking and an incredible pop for Cesaro, who beat a multi-time world champion clean 
at WrestleMania. Holy shit. We can talk about a match grade in a moment, Chris, but the key here is that it was the perfect piece of storytelling, both entering the match and during the match itself. The right guy went over, the crowd absolutely loved it, and it was awesome to witness. I wish I was there live for it. Yeah, everything about this felt like kind of a meta commentary among fans, which was, it wasn't, is Cesaro going to win? It's, is Vince McMahon going to let Cesaro win? Is Cesaro going to finally get his push here? And I really and hope how strong. Yes, yeah. and I really hope they do because he looked like a million bucks here. They've made him a great underdog babyface in this story. Very simple stuff. Cesaro got to do all his great moves. Looked like you know, looked like a guy who could do certain things that nobody else can do. Showed off his strength, and it was great. Um, I love Cesaro going right at Seth right when the bell rang. I feel like we don't get that enough in some of these matches. Some of these are are kind of like blood feuds and you're really pissed off at somebody and you just, as soon as the bell rings, you go right at him. That was great from Cesaro to start. Uh, I also wrote down Seth's music uh, sucks. This, this new embrace the vision music he has. It's terrible. Uh, I don't know. Was it not, was it not uh, his normal theme? No, it's not the, they throw burn Burn it it down down in there, but it was, it was different. And honestly, I think it was different from his, uh, Monday Night Messiah music too. I think it, it sounded like something I never heard before, and it sounded like wait, garbage. it wasn't the it wasn't the the theme that he's been using his most of his career. No, it was not. Unless unless it was coming different through by TV, but it sounded I'm like gonna, something I'm completely have to, new. So and, I'm full, like you know, just full disclosure, yeah, because um, we haven't talked about it on this show, even though we've talked about it on previous episodes. I had internet issues, I had viewing issues, timing issues with me getting back to my hotel room. There's a chance that, you know, Chris is 1000% right. And I'm just, I didn't hear it. Maybe I had it on mute or maybe it wasn't coming through at that time. I could have sworn that he has been coming out on SmackDown to his old theme for a long time. And I thought that's what they used uh, with all the fire and theatrics at WrestleMania. But I'll go back and listen and maybe I'm wrong. No, yeah, I'm looking up. It was, it was a new entrance theme uh, for Seth Rollins. There's stories written up about it. So, yes, okay. it was completely new. I have to listen to it. It was completely terrible. But the match was great. Okay. I, I hope this means Cesaro gets that push forward. What What is next for him? I don't know. It's probably not a, a universal championship feud. Maybe he gets in the IC feud. I don't know. But but I hope they have a plan for Cesaro because if, if they don't have a direction for him, Vince sometimes gets bored. So I just I hope there's a plan for what's next. So in terms of how we grade this match. It actually is a great question because I might grade it differently in the middle of an NXT show or an NJPW show. Do we put WWE matches on a curve? Uh, Do we expect less from them? Or perhaps just a different overall style that kind of affects how we grade matches that we see in WWE. Would these two have wrestled a match any differently or, or significantly different in a different promotion? I believe that I've given a, two matches already. Like really high grades. Uh, I gave a match a five, a 4.75, maybe a five, uh, and a 4.5, one of them. And I think uh, 4.25, like the main events, I graded extremely high. This was extremely well wrestled and it was a good storyline. It was a little shorter than I would have liked it to. Again, that's a common theme throughout WrestleMania. But this is like between a 4.5 and a 4.75 star match. It's an A. This was a damn good match. And, and I don't know, man, like, Maybe my mind for WrestleMania is like warped for some reason. And I 
don't expect a lot from WWE. So when I see something really good, like it pops me even more. But I thought across both WrestleMania shows, there was really good wrestling. Matches that when you have them next to each other, maybe you would grade them differently than if you had them individually where you go, oh my God, that's a great match. But in context of all the other great matches, how great is it? And this is one of them. Like this match was great. The title matches, the mid-card title matches on night two were great. Um, So I don't know really how to compare one to the next. I think I'd have to probably watch them all in order, but I loved this. This was again, probably a 4.5, maybe even on its way in between a, a 4.625 star match. It's an A. It's an A. It was a great match. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting, into, the, you're getting into the thousands of a, of a decimal. I, I'm trying here. to split hairs. <laughs> I don't know how to split hairs here. Yeah, I really I, enjoyed I, it. I, I just I, really enjoyed the match. Yeah, I, I did too. I, I mean, this is this and the Ray Ripley-Oscar match were clearly, to me, a step below the two main events. I, I could have Agreed. those two main events as fives. These are probably more in the... 4.25 range to me. Um, See, I don't know how you do that because then what's Bobby Lashley and Drew McIntyre? That's a 4.25 star match. Yeah. Or I, a four star I, match, I'd, put, that is. I'd put all these kind of in that same level there where they're, they're very good. I, I guess if we're going like very bad to excellent, whatever the scale is, one to five, you know, I'd probably put this a, a little above a four, I, I, I think, as probably where. I would I kind of like your very good. Particularly Cesaro Seth, it didn't have, it, it didn't have the. I guess it didn't have the spectacle as some of the others, and, and to me that um, doesn't hit quite the same. But that's where I would put it. I like the idea of very good. It's like we can just say great, very good, good, bad, and terrible, and then those can just be our ratings. And then like maybe extraordinary is just like that one match, like yeah. you know that is just so above and beyond that we've never seen it. So most of the matches we've talked about already have been great to very good. This was another very good match. Uh, let's talk bad freaking bunny, bad bunny and Damian priest against the Miz and John Morrison. So there's two dozen bunnies, like Easter bunny costume type bunnies hopping down to the ring. And I got to say, maybe my brain was just fried from working and being tired and all that type of stuff, but I'm watching it and I'm like, I cannot believe that they have this cool dude, Bad Bunny, and they have Easter bunnies hopping <laughs> to the ring. Like, what are they doing to this guy? I just needed to be smarter. Like, how did I not see? Obviously, that was a Miz and Morrison entrance. It was so purposely cringe with them doing the live performance of Hey, Hey, Hop, Hop. I freaking loved it. Like, when I realized it was them, I went from, like, disgusted to, like, how could you be so stupid? Of course it's them. I thought it was funny. Uh, then you get Priest, Damian Priest, who gets a cool ass looking entrance. And then Bad Bunny with a music video like entrance, which they ended up playing into a promotional tool on night two uh, for his. I guess he's going to start touring again or, or work on new music or something like that. So he guy rides a 16 wheeler, 18 wheeler. I'm sorry, to Raymond James Stadium with Pyro I, the entrances to this match like. It was so over the top, but I even Priest looked good. I loved the entrances, and I, I thought it set the stage for like, hey, this match, you may not have high hopes. It's going to deliver. Yeah, I think Bad Bunny got the Triple H budget on the entrance. He did. Uh, that, that, was, that was some good stuff. The, the Damian Priest entrance was great, too. I'm waiting for at some point in some WrestleMania match with Damian Priest, we got to get someone actually shooting an actual arrow <laughs> into some cauldron like it's the Olympics or something like something. <laughs> we, we got 
a really fake fun. arrow, something I, like we got to make it happen at one of these WrestleMania entrances for him. The the hip hip hop hop. It was tough to hear on the TV because they were singing along live to the song playing in the stadium, but the mics were right. coming through clearly. So that was uh, just a little bit off. But the well, visual of them in the ring with a million Easter bunnies behind them, like getting ready for this match was absolutely hysterical. It was it was really funny. Yeah, it was strange. It's like normally you're supposed to do that to a track where your voice is the only one you hear or you lip sync. Like it's usually pick one of the two, but instead they were doing an entire song over an entire track, not like not even just the chorus. So it was just a little bit weird, but okay, whatever. We'll get away from it. Uh, Miz baited Bad Bunny into the ring after the bell. He started by doing just really basic moves and a step over pinning combination for a near fall. And the crowd really responded to him. Many of them were actually on their feet from close to the beginning of the match. And I'm seeing him do some of these moves. And I'm like, okay, he's got the basics. And I thought it was really, really smart booking and like match layout for WWE to kind of do that. So you're like, oh, okay. So he learned the basics, like good for him. We're not going to expect much because then what they did was blow away your expectations. He did a spinning hurricanrana. Then he finally ate a cheap shot from the Miz. Um, he was selling an absolute ton for both guys. Morrison did a spinneroony with Booker T on commentary and Bunny coming out, by the way, to the Booker T song. That's the connection. But Morrison, people may not remember, during his Tough Enough audition back in the day, years upon years upon years ago, like probably 18 years ago, 20 years ago, they asked him if he could do a spinner Rooney, and he did a spinner Rooney. So now he's actually doing it at WrestleMania. That was very cool. Uh, Bunny got an opening. He hit Miz with a tornado DDT. Bad Bunny, tornado DDT, finally tags in Priest. Priest wrecks Miz and Morrison, hits South of Heaven on Miz, and then Bunny entered as they simultaneously rang the bells of Miz and Morrison and hit a move that I missed. I looked away for a second. I don't know what they did. Uh, Priest did a springboard tope cannonball off the middle rope to the outside. Bunny then climbed the top rope for that signature splash that he did at Royal Rumble and sold it, his ribs, after hitting just perfectly, just like a wrestler would. Uh, Miz countered Priest's finisher with the skull-crushing finale. Bunny came in to make the save. The crowd literally chanted for him. <laughs> and he comes down to the ringside area and hits John Morrison with a Canadian destroyer at ringside. The camera panned to Miz's face with his jaw completely dropped. It was great expert top tier level camera work. Then Priest lifted Miz and Bunny hit an elevated crossbody splash, kind of like a doomsday device for the win in what I thought was an incredibly entertaining match. Uh, Chris, I will take whatever Bad Bunny they want to give me. I'm not a fan of his music. I don't think it's bad, but I'm just not a fan of his. Um, but he respects the business. You can tell he trained hard, did a great job. He gets Damian Priest shine. Obviously, he's paired and teamed with him. And he's clearly bringing eyeballs and attention to the product. Good for him. A good get for WWE. I thought he was very d impressive. The Bunny Destroyer was fantastic. You know, the match doesn't get a high grade or anything like that, but the entertainment value was immense. And if you want to know what the superstars thought about Bad Bunny, all you had to do was go onto Twitter and see Randy Orton and Mick Foley go out of their way to say, that this guy did an incredible job. And Randy freaking Orton said, I consider this guy a WWE superstar because of how hard he trained, how hard he worked, and how good he looked. That's high praise. Bad Bunny gets two thumbs up. Bad Bunny gets five stars because he worked his ass off. He did better than we had any expectation of him doing. And this was a very entertaining match. Yeah, you want to know how much Bad Bunny respects pro wrestling. 
when he gets up, he comes in on his entrance and he walks up onto the side of the apron and he kind of scrapes or slides his boots on the apron like like all the wrestlers do to just kind of like show respect to the ring. Uh, that's how that's the level of detail this guy pays attention to this stuff. You know, w- when celebrities come in, if they are if they clearly care about pro wrestling enough to take it seriously and not want to embarrass themselves in the situation, it's great. This wasn't, I, I don't think this it's quality of a debut as Pat McAfee had, but man, oh, no. that bunny far exceeded any type of expectations you could have. This guy is one of the biggest music stars in the world. He moves to Orlando and starts training at the performance center to perform in front of no fans for weeks on television. <laughs> That's how that's how much this guy cares about this uh, business. So I saw some people kind of upset about it, like, oh, it's not real that he could, he could fight the Miz or beat up the Miz or something like that. The story they told was that Miz didn't take him seriously, that Miz was putting his hands behind his back and playing with him. And then he got mm-hmm. a good shot in. And mm-hmm. Bad Bunny also played from underneath for most of this match. He was the guy getting beat up to eventually get the hot tag to Damian Priest. It's not like he was manhandling exactly. Miz for all of this match or something like that. So let's not let's not make let's not pretend Bad Bunny was portrayed as some dominant superstar. No, he was he was portrayed as an opportunistic one uh, who found the right moments to make his moves. So this was this app they knocked out of the park. Whatever expectations you had for this match, high or low, they far outperformed him incredibly entertaining match i was very sports entertained by this and it's exactly what it was supposed to be i definitely agree with that the dirty dogs were interviewed backstage ahead of the raw tag team title match those guys Dolph ziggler and robert Roode, they looked like a million bucks i love that they found a smart way to get them on wrestlemania even though they didn't have a match just like with lashley wwe has committed to building people that fans may not think they would and I think that Ziggler and Rude just have a some good star power together. I like this little very short segment. And I just wanted to mention it briefly before we get to the Raw Tag Team title match. Do you have anything to say or should I just keep going? Yeah, no, they look good. I mean, honestly, the fact that both of these nights were so short would have even led to more of a reason why those SmackDown matches, the tag match and the Andre Battle Royal could have been on the WrestleMania card and they eh. uh, were not. So it's just, I'm, it's interesting. Time-wise, you could have fit it in there, but they chose not to, and it was interesting. But I'm glad they got some attention there. They're the SmackDown Tag Team Champs. They should get some sort of some sort of uh, nod at a WrestleMania. So that was a good segment. The truth is that people will be upset, but the women's tag team turmoil should have been on SmackDown with the yeah. Andre the Giant, and the SmackDown Tag Team title match should have been at WrestleMania. It's just true. It, it's better built, and... and it was a better match, but okay. Uh, the Raw Tag Team Championship, New Day against AJ Styles and Omos. Biggie introduced New Day on stage, and I loved, Chris, that they didn't pretend as if the entire roster wasn't backstage together, especially since we saw them on the delay show. So you had Biggie, you know, be there to introduce the guys. That was great. Styles slipped during his entrance. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, New Day convinced Styles to start and kept him away from Omos, who tagged in late in the match. Once he did, Omos threw them around like ragdolls in completely dominant fashion, listening to instructions from Styles. After Styles jumped off Omos's shoulder to knock Xavier Woods out with a phenomenal forearm, Omos hit Kofi Kingston with the last ride choke slam type of move that he does and put his foot on his chest. So the WWE champion just a couple years ago for the one, two, three. Styles celebrated on Omos's shoulders, holding both titles. This is what I'll say. 
and we're going to disagree. I don't want to go too long because it's a relatively meaningless match. But the match was actually worse than I expected. Yes. But the booking was better than I expected, if that makes sense. I don't really know how to explain it. Omos didn't move. He didn't do anything. He, he didn't wrestle. He just was big and strong. And I don't know how sustainable that is. I would have liked to have seen this guy who's been with them for a long time and has trained and seemingly knows how to wrestle do more than what he just throw a couple people around and stand on a guy's chest. And yes, it did matter to me that he took a former WWE champion and just threw him and stood on his chest and pinned him one, two, three. Like Kofi as an ex-WWE champion, he's not the Miz. He had a six-month title reign. Like people really respected and liked Kofi as champion. It, it felt like it was kind of not treating him bad. I mean, I know they didn't do it to make him look bad. I, I just personally didn't like it as a fan. I guess it's just tough to kind of see New Day get beat that badly by a new guy. And, you know, we had a, a theory going in, hey, you know, both sets of New Day matches, they're not going to lose everything. Like, they can't do that on WrestleMania. The fans love New Day. Well, it's not really what happened. So, um, I don't know, man. This was maybe like a 2.75, like a C plus. So, you know, I don't think it was bad by any means, but I didn't like it. I didn't think it was exceptional or special. Uh, man, I love this. I, I loved every I loved every part of this. I loved New Day beating up on AJ Styles, explaining to him this is how tag team wrestling works. It played into the story they were trying to tell that AJ and Omos couldn't win because they weren't an actual team while New Day were. Uh, and, and it just built and built and built up to this moment. And I, you know, you, you said Saturday night you didn't like this in that we would talk about it again. So I went back. I went back and watched the match again Sunday, and I loved it every bit as much as I saw it live. And that moment when Omos gets tagged in, the crowd comes to their feet. They are excited for this moment. And he comes in and, they, and, and the hot tag, that is one of the, that is, that, it was one of the best visuals I've ever seen for a hot tag where AJ jumps to get the hot tag as Xavier is jumping off the top rope. Xavier lands on his knees, staring up at this monster. Awesome shot. And then they can't do anything to him because the dude's the dude's like 400 pounds and seven foot three. Nothing they do works for him. He throws them around. He looked pretty smooth in there, I will say, doing some backbreakers, throwing Kofi into the turnbuckle, running from turnbuckle to turnbuckle. And the power bomb at the end was brutal. AJ jumping off of his shoulders to deliver, to deliver a forearm was great. This was so much fun. The crowd loved it. Uh, I, I, I like I don't know what goes. I don't know where it goes next but he'll stay protected in a tag team with AJ who can do a lot of the work, man. This, this was an incredible debut for a guy uh, who is not like anybody else you see out there in pro wrestling, unless you want to count Shaq versus Cody. This was a heck of a lot of fun. Just like the Miz and Morrison match with bad bunny. I was incredibly sports entertained by it. I don't know what star rating you're going to put on it, but I had, I had a heck of a lot of fun watching this match. Yeah, I mean, I gave it 2.75 C plus. I mean, it was it was better than average. You know, I just didn't think it was very good or great, you know, to, to our new scale. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. I wasn't offended by it by any means. But I don't know. Again, every every title that that face had going into the show changed to a heel. Like it's it's incredible almost to some degree. I think my biggest issue with it is just the raw tag team division is so thin and weak that now you have a AJ Styles, who's obviously a massive star, and Omos, who's a massive man with the titles. And you're just like, all right, well, okay, we know how this is going to end. They're going to have the titles for a really long time, and Styles is going to piss off Omos, and Omos 
will probably turn on him, but maybe Omos will do it in a face way because he gets bullied or pushed around by Styles. And remember, I say this because and remember, I say this because it's such a trope. And then they break up and then Omos, what's he going to do? Right, because he's not yeah, he Russell. So that's I, all I'm saying. But but I, I will say, you know, I, th- this match didn't need the belts. We were we were not happy that her business as a tag team got brushed aside. Ridiculous. But yes. New Day were New Day were the perfect the perfect people to go up against AJ and Omas. Their, their mannerisms, their flamboyancy, the way they bounce around for people. They were the right people uh, to go up against Omas in his debut. So so that decision at least paid off in that sense. Even if I okay, still we, think they needed the belts. We got to go. We got to get off this match. Uh, Shane McMahon versus yep. Braun Strowman in a steel cage. Elias and Jackson Riker attack Strowman with a chair before the match. Then Shane used one inside. He grabbed the steel sign off the top and used that on Strowman, also working on his leg. McMahon got an open window. So Elias and Riker tried to help him over the top, but Strowman knocked them off the cage. Like, you remember those little bad guys in Mario Brothers? Like when, when you're in the dungeon and you can punch them off the grate? Like, that's kind of what he did, right? He just knocked them off. Uh, Shane grabbed the toolbox and hit Strowman in the head, knocking him off the top rope. He started climbing down, he being Shane, and taunted Strowman. So Braun grabbed his hand through the steel grate, through the chain link, and then peeled down a side of the cage, dragging Shane back inside. It was one of the most inventive things I have ever seen in a steel cage match. It gave energy back to a match that really lacked. The fans did not give a shit. And then all of a sudden, Braun Strowman rips a panel off this damn cage. And you're like, okay, business just picked up. Like, I actually care about how this is going to finish. Strowman threw Shane atop the cage, screamed, who's stupid now? And tossed him to the mat. It was a crazy bump for Shane going from the top of the cage all the way down into the mat. He landed it perfectly to his credit. Braun climbed down, berated Shane for being a bully and sent him to hell with a really strong running power slam that would have gone through the mat if like there wasn't the wood there. The crowd loved it, and it was good for Braun to look strong and dominant again. I did love the finish. So everything from peeling back the cage to throwing Shane from the top to the really strong power slam in the one, two, three, I liked it. The crowd loved it. Um, to be fair, though, most of the match was relatively boring. So I'll say that this was perfectly fine for a WrestleMania match, a flat three stars, which is not bad. It's like a B minus, I guess, something like that. Totally acceptable. Got the job done. Um, in some ways, it was worse than I expected because we I thought this was actually going to be a good match despite being a terrible storyline. It ended up being a OK match with a really, really good finish. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that we really cared about coming in was what is Shane going to fall off of and how. I, I, I mean, it's just it kind of hangs over every Shane match at this point where you're just waiting to get to the finish. And so I think everybody kind of sensed that and you got the finish and whew, man, Shane McMahon is still at 51 years old willing to go out there and I know almost kill himself crazy. for our entertainment. So mad respect to him for that always and forever. I did like that Braun came down and power slammed him to win the match as opposed to just climbing out. I think it was like it's like a little thing, but actually I think a big thing in terms of his character. I thought it was funny. I don't remember if it was commentary or an interviewer or someone, but they said basically they said Braun Braun won that match for everyone for anyone who's ever been called stupid. 
<laughs> and I just laughed at that because it's such a funny thing to say. Like, I got the bullying storyline, but just like, if you've been called stupid ever, Braun Strowman did that for you. So it was kind of funny. This didn't need to be this long. <laughs> Would you believe that this was essentially the exact same length as the Cesaro Seth Rollins match? Uh, yeah, it didn't need to be this like, long. Could have cut off two minutes or so. I just kind of got to the finish. It's all that mattered. We got to see Shane fly off of something, so we got what we wanted. And yeah, not much more to say about it. And lastly, the women's tag team turmoil match, which was the second match on this show. Naomi and Lana versus the Sexy Muscle Friends versus Riot Squad versus Natalia and Tamina versus Carmella and Billy Kay. So this was basically just the gauntlet match. Um, the crowd was dead for it, completely dead. The women did get a lot of time, though. You can't complain. If, by the way, if you have the time, pull it up and I'll ask you at the end. Uh, for fans, you can't complain about the women not getting enough time and then not give WWE reason to book them more. This wasn't the best match by any means, but it did have a storyline and it contained from a talent perspective, a very large portion of the division. And they and they got a lot of time on the show to put on. It wasn't necessarily a great match, but it was an effort filled match, which I appreciated. Kay rolled up Naomi uh, with Carmella pushing her feet into Kay's back for leverage while holding the ropes, which was a pretty inventive heel type of pinfall in a tag team match. I'd have preferred no roll-ups at WrestleMania, but here we are. Uh, people will probably complain about Naomi losing, and yes, Lana should have been the one pinned in that situation. Carmella and Kay got caught by the referee trying it again against the Riot Squad. Ruby Riot hit a senton for the win. Then Liv Morgan got hit with a senton, but reversed the fall into a small package for another 1-2-3. Riot hit another senton, but Tamina kicked out of Morgan's cover. The heels hit the heart attack on Riot. Natalia teased the sharpshooter, and the crowd cheered, which I was surprised at. Then she instead decided to tag in Tamina, who hit the superfly splash for the win for them to take the entire thing. So it's been obvious how strong WWE has built Natalia and Tamina. We saw it on SmackDown. I'm honestly shocked that the Riot Squad got to the final two because you and I were doing the predictions, and we both knew that Natalia and Tamina was the pick. But I was sticking with the Riot Squad just to be different, and I figured, hey, you know, it would make sense for them to get an opportunity. And, you know, I got to give them credit because the right team won based on the booking. But the Riot Squad actually, I think, looked the strongest out of the entire match. They got some good shine. So I, I always appreciate the veterans getting a big win in a big moment. Um, this match, though, was better than the fans made it seem, but also nothing simultaneously nothing special from a wrestling perspective. So solid storytelling. Probably like, again, you know, 2.75 star match. So a C plus better than average, but not great. Yes, this was 14 minutes was this match. It was the third longest, the fourth longest. It was behind Lashley, behind Bianca Belair, behind uh, Bad Bunny. So uh, actually in the lower half um, for uh, for one with so many people. And it, and it didn't feel that long because you had pins every three minutes. So it's not like there right. was nothing happening. So, yeah, it was um, it was it was it was fine. You know, it was good to see Riot Squad get a couple of wins to get up to that, uh, I guess, final matchup. And it was what it was. I mean, this was obviously a somewhat of a cool down coming off of the Lashley-McIntyre match to start. I think it made sense with the timing. And I didn't have any problems with it. It wasn't it wasn't um, great. We knew it was just kind of a step to the next match the next day. So it was fine. That's kind of how I just looked at it. It just It was fine. 
So now with that, let's move into night two of the WrestleMania 37 card, everything except the main events, which we spoke about earlier. And just for consistency sake, because this match that we just talked about played into another match on night two, let's stay with the women's tag team championship, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler against Natalia and Tamina, the brand new number one contenders. Baszler ate a super kick, but came back and snapped Natalia's ankle. The champions beat the hell out of her. And Jax hit a huge powerbomb for a near fall that was broken up by Tamina. Jax did a double crossbody off the middle rope onto the challengers for another near fall. And she sold an injured knee, which was perfect for a sharpshooter, you would think, right? Uh, Jax talked trash to her cousin, and Tamina smacked her across the face. Tamina then body slammed Jax. Okay, incredible. Uh, For a legit 2.9, it was actually a really good kick out by Naya. Again, credit where it's due. Tamina missed the superfly splash, and Natalia tagged in. She knocked Baszler off the ring apron. Uh, and Baszler had gotten tagged in by Nia Jax, turned Jax over into a sharpshooter. So there I am. I, I thought, oh, that made sense. She's selling the knee. She's going to tap. But Baszler instead jumps into the ring, locks in the Kirifuda clutch from behind as the legal wrestler, and Natalia goes to sleep. Chris, I got to say, this completely exceeded my expectations in every possible way. All four women were great. Now, different levels, of course. Shayna Baszler was the best. And Natalia and Tamina were veterans, so they knew what they were doing, but it wasn't necessarily the most exciting. But as a foursome, they deserve a lot of credit for putting on an entertaining match that I thought had no business being entertaining. I enjoyed this match. It's the best Tamina has ever looked against a wrestler other than Bailey. They also, just like we're talking about all show, subverted the obvious finish by having the champions retain the titles. We were sure that no matter who the number one contenders were, this would finally be the time that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler dropped the titles. And last but not least, I love that Baszler got the win after she lost five freaking singles matches in the month of March. Yeah, no, this was um, surprisingly quite good. Like you said, the finish was nice because it came out of nowhere. It was was like kind of like a careful clutch. I know I'd forgotten that Shayna had tagged in you know, seconds prior, just because I was so sucked into what uh, Natalia and um, Naya were doing there. So, yeah, that was good. I I feel like the crowd, I, I wish the crowd had been more into it. They probably deserved a better crowd, but it was also... They gave them some cheers, though. It, it was, them. but it was coming... It, if they weren't coming off of the weird finish of the Fiend-Randy Orton match, mm-hmm. which we'll get to, I, I think Agreed. they could have gotten more of a, uh, a a better reaction out of it. This was the second longest match on night two. Again, 14 minutes, only behind the um, main event. This was more than double the length of the Intercontinental Championship match. So they gave these women time. And I think that, I thought they did a pretty good job with it. The IC I, title match was seven minutes? That's it's according to Wikipedia here. Six minutes, 50 seconds. That's insane. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't, have thought, I wouldn't have thought that, but just it's, that's it's what it says like here. It. So, but yeah. the, the the match was good. I, don't, I just I don't know where we go next because they've now beaten basically every... Every team. tag team there is, so we'll, we'll find out on uh, probably probably find out on Monday. Yeah, I mean they've leg- they've legitimately beaten everyone. It's insane. Um, I mean maybe there's a scenario where like Asuka and Io Shirai, you know, she debuts and they team up and, and they go after him. I don't even yeah, know don't at know. this point, but but damn, yeah, you're right. They've beaten everyone. By the way, um, where the hell was Reginald? I didn't even th- I didn't even think about him until you brought him up right now. Like we just went through we just went through like. Two to three months of Reginald. Sorry. Well, three months of Reginald because he was with Carmella. But two months of Reginald 
where he's involved with Sasha and Bianca Belair and then Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. And you know what? He's with Nia and it's actually the best version of Reginald that we've had yet. And he's playing such an integral role in all this stuff. And then they have a smack, uh, sorry, a women's tag team championship match at WrestleMania and he's nowhere to be found. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I needed Reginald. I'm just, I'm just saying like, where the hell was he? That's all. Yeah. I mean, you could add a great Tamina throws Reginald spot. Somewhere, I'm I'm surprised we right. set up for it. Oh, I, oh, yeah, I don't throw know him over was. a table. I, mean, I hope everything's so. Yeah, I hope everything's okay with Reginald. But uh, yeah, it was surprising. It was so weird. Um, so you mentioned the match order, and we're going to talk about the rest of the matches momentarily. So I, I saw that it was you. Maybe you were saying to me that you had an issue with the match order, and presumably it was with having the Fiend and Randy Orton match, which we will talk about at the end of the show. It'll be the final thing we talk about. Having that first and having the second. But this is what I wanted to say and kind of preface it and before you say your piece. And I do want to make it quick so we can move on quickly. Um, so I did disagree with Orton and Fiend being the first match. That was a bad decision. But I had no issue with this being second. And in a totality, from a totality standpoint, I loved the way WWE booked the night two card. Because when, and I've said this on this podcast and other podcasts a million times, every wrestling pay-per-view should be built up like a boxing pay-per-view or a UFC pay-per-view where you have your low card matches that lead into your mid card matches and then move you into your main event. And if you want to have one exception where the opening match is a mid card match and then you go low card, mid card main event, that's okay. Night one of WrestleMania. I understand why Drew and Bobby went first. I'm not talking about a situation like WrestleMania talking about a normal week to week or sorry, month to month pay-per-view night two of WrestleMania. Again, despite Orton and Fiend being a questionable opener, I loved the way this card was built front to back. They gave us the low card matches, they gave us the mid card championships, and they gave us a co-main event with the Raw Women's Championship and the SmackDown, you know, Universal Championship. It's not the SmackDown, it's just the Universal Championship. So because of that, I loved the card order. Yeah, it was just it was just different than the night before and different than the way WWE's typically been doing that. I mean, you go back to watch the early, early days of WrestleMania. And, and yeah, they start with the lowest match and work their way up. It's just not how WWE's kind of done it recently. So, you know, we talked earlier about fans who didn't like night two. I think part of that is because of the way it started compared to the way the previous night started. And it took a while for them to perhaps get over that or perhaps they never did. So I just think, you know, if if, if they really thought... Fiend Orton was going to be such a crazy ending that people needed to co- to come down from it like you had with Lashley and McIntyre. Then, yeah, this match next made sense. It made sense to put the second. I'm just surprised that they put it after the first match, depending on what they thought the reaction of that match was going to be. But, yeah, the second, as it turned out, it built up, like you said. And the, the final five matches of this card were fire and and totally got right back into it it was just i think that's why the crowd felt a little dead and why some people maybe didn't like night two because it was just kind of that extended period of time where things didn't seem great even though i thought the match yeah was good. I, no i agree i think if you think night two started slow then i'm with you i'm on that page i did like this match but i don't it's not the most exciting match to have after a match that you were potentially excited for you thought it was weird not you people in general uh to be an opener and then it ends up being weird as an opener, right? So I think all of that makes total sense. But again, just because the first two matches weren't like fantastic doesn't mean that the show was bad or that it needed saving by the main event. I mean, you look at, again, multiple like 
New Japan pay-per-views. And like they have the Toru Yano stuff and the and the eight-man tag team matches at open shows, and they're mediocre at best. And then the show gets great, and you get a six-star classic in the main event. Well, who's complaining about the way those shows are built? I understand this is WrestleMania. Again, I understand WWE is a different product, but I don't know. I I I I had an issue with the opening match, which we'll talk about again momentarily, but I didn't really have an issue with the build of the entire show front to back. In fact, I loved the match order on night two. But speaking of those matches, let's go through the rest of them. We had the Intercontinental Championship on the line, Biggie defending against Apollo Crews in a Nigerian drum fight. Biggie got a huge entrance with Wale doing his music. They opened with kendo sticks on each other. Biggie speared Crews through the ropes outside in a tope suicida like move. It was brutal. I couldn't believe it happened. Cruz planted Biggie on the ring apron, put some steel steps outside, and tried to dive another set of steel steps into Biggie's chest like he supposedly did previously, except we know Biggie rolled away. Uh, Biggie countered with a urinagi off the ring apron onto the steps at ringside. Cruz ruined Biggie with a kendo stick. And the cameraman had like a seizure or something when he did that because it was like shaking. Uh, Cruz put Biggie on the table and went for a frog splash, but Biggie moved. So Apollo Cruz frog splashed damn table (laughs) clean, like nothing to save him, just straight into the wood. It was an insane spot. Biggie immediately picks him up and hits the big ending. And I'm like, wow, like fast match, but they are, it was just brutal and Biggie's going to retain and the crowd is going to go nuts because that was a freaking awesome match. When suddenly Babatunde or Dabakato, you pick the name that you want to use, ran his ass into the ring, destroyed Biggie and rolled Cruz atop of him for the win and title change. Chris, people were pissed. I loved this. I thought this was an incredible piece of booking. I don't care that commentary acted dumb to who it was. You people may have seen that I retweeted a certain wrestling personality who uh, gave a pretty ridiculous tweet on this. But they gave us a great finish. They had us as fans in the palm of their hands, ready to scream and yell and celebrate that Biggie not only won a great match, but went over at WrestleMania and he did it in this awesome way. And Apollo Crews put his own body through a table. And then they completely swerved us, screwing him over and adding a shit ton of heat to Apollo Crews. It was perfect. It wasn't a five-star match or anything. It's a four-star, like, quick-ass match. Like, I don't know, maybe 3.75 or four. Like a B, B-plus type of match. I freaking loved this thing. Yeah, it was. I loved it. It was a brutal seven-minute match. They just really quickly, before you know it, they both got I wish it was like- longer. They yeah. both got candlesticks and they beat the crap out of each other. And um, Apollo's gear looked awesome. Mm-hmm. His name on the side, got Nigel on, on the back. He looks like a billion bucks. I, and this is the first time I think I could actually hear his music because it's hard to hear the music in the performance center. And I really liked his theme for it being the first time uh, that he that he plays it. When Wale... Brought out Big E, I was thinking, all right, the track record here of having live music play <laughs> you out, you typically lose when that happens. Now, Rhea Ripley actually broke kind of that uh, trend, but uh, chopped this one up to another, you get a live music entrance, you end up losing the match. 
Um, <laughs> you, just, you usually do. Yeah, yeah. Ronda Rousey lost. Triple H frequently loses. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah, it's true. And, I, Randy, I must say, Randy Orton at WrestleMania 30, 30 uh, Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania 30. It happens. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but uh, as for the Dabakato thing, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm of two minds. Of, of one, yeah, you keep saying you want to see who is he, who is he, who is this guy. On the other, I was a big fan of Raw Underground. It was I, I would love to see the the spirit of Raw Underground acknowledged by commentary. Um, I, I don't think it would have been wrong to say Dabakato, you know, he's Nigerian, whatever. I'm sure they'll explain. Uh, I'm sure they'll explain on. it on Monday, but it, 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 they just, they heavily emphasized who is he? They said it several times. Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? They do that. And, that's and that's, why I, that's I just, I think that's why a lot of people were like, well, we know who he is. You know, if you watch Raw every week, but if you had just emphasized like, what is this guy doing? Why is he doing this? Who is he? As opposed to simply saying, who is he? Who is he? Who is he? Who is he? Then people, yeah, but this is, then people would have maybe be a little bit less kind of irked by it. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is I, I agree up. with you. Cole, yeah, Cole's Kane, on comment. You know, when, when Kane took off his mask, nobody said, oh, that's uh, whatever the hell is. Isaac Yankum. Isaac, no, yes. said, no, said, oh, that's Isaac Yankum. So you're yeah, right. So, people get renamed all the time. And us as fans... And, we and don't dude, need to prove our credentials by saying, "Oh, I remember Dabakato from Raw yeah. Underground." So, dude, I, and, overall, I get it. They just they leaned heavily into wondering who is he, uh, and less uh, and less on why and less on Apollo. And I think, yeah, one, dude, I don't, I don't give, I, I don't give a shit. Like, I, I just don't like if it's a rarely used dude who has really not been on TV. Who Dabakato was. 95% except for one appearance in Raw Underground and not in the ring. Michael Cole was not calling that show. You know, um, it, it, I, I don't give a shit at all about this. Like, I can't believe people are upset. Like, guy, I mean, I, we have so much to talk about, but I got to say this. I tweeted moments before the first night of WrestleMania started. I said, guys, this weekend is a celebration of wrestling. Like, we went through a year of doing this podcast in a pandemic. We haven't done a, this was the first podcast we've done, Chris, with like a full crowd of fans, like talking about a show that had a full crowd of fans. And what I tweeted on Saturday night before WrestleMania was, let's just like sit back and enjoy this weekend and enjoy these two shows. And hopefully they're really good. And if they're not, we'll criticize them. But I'm not looking for things to, like sometimes we do look for things to you know pick at. You know, especially if it's a really good show, it's like, oh, well, what are we going to pick at? Or if it's a really bad show, we say, hey, what, are, what can we praise? But like people are actively trying to pull things apart here and they're offended that Daba Kato, a guy who was on TV <laughs> four times, that Michael Cole doesn't know who he is. Go F yourself. Seriously, like that's going to piss you off rather than the fact that Apollo Crews, this guy who you complained about for years, not getting pushed, not getting opportunities was U.S. champion for, you know, a bunch of months, moves over to SmackDown. You're like, oh, he's lost again. He's totally screwed. Gets a new gimmick, looks like a million dollars, now has a heavy. That's the news. The news is that they're pushing this guy as a heel. They got a lot of heat on him. Like, not everything is going to be freaking perfect. And yeah, you know what? Commentary across both nights was really bad. And we'll talk about that maybe on Tuesday. We've got some other stuff to talk about. We're not going to fit into the show. It's going really long. But you're going to get mad about Daba, freaking Kato. No, people get repackaged all the time when they're barely on TV. Rick Boogs, Eric Bugenhagen, is currently the old Spice guy. Do you think when he debuts, 
and whatever, let's see, he runs into a match. Michael Cole is going to be like, oh, yeah, that's the old Spice guy. No, they're going to say, who the hell is this guy? And they're going to play it off like he's never been on TV before. This has been wrestling in WWE, WCW, in tons of organizations over many, many years. You repackage someone, you start them fresh. You don't try to draw connections. It doesn't matter that it's 2021. So yes. we're talking, go to hell. Yeah, we're to talking hell. way too much about Dabakato. Shout out to Apollo Crews, who's been killing it over the last month plus in this role. Happy for him to win their Intercontinental Championship belt. I'm glad you I can't. Come- I, I cannot wait for his promo on Friday because every time he's he's become one of those guys when he's on my screen, I stop what I'm doing and I pay attention to what he's going to say. So I'm really excited to see what we get from him on Friday. I'm glad you cut me off. I just want to say one more thing. <laughs> we have to say, no, I want to give credit to our listeners. I forgot who sent this in. So please tweet me and remind me that you're the genius who sent this in. Okay. But this really should have been Omos. I mean, our listener, again, I forgot your name, but tweeted us. We read it on the show, this exact booking. He nailed it. But the difference is that Omos is legit Nigerian. <laughs> like Apollo Cruz is Nigerian. Omos is Nigerian. Dabakato, his name, by the way, is going to be Commander Aziz. That's his real name. That's going to be the character name. He's Polish. Well, no. he's he's Polish, but his father is Nigerian. Is he? Yes. Yeah, I, okay. I looked this up. I take it back. He, he's Polish, but his Nigerian. His father is Nigerian, and it, it, Wikipedia describes him as Nigerian extraction. I don't know exactly what that means, but he is part Nigerian. Okay, I take it back. I take it back. But Omas is very Nigerian. <laughs> like they're both Nigerian, but like Omas is obviously Nigerian. Da, uh, Omas is from Lagos. He's straight up Nigerian, but yes, Tabakato is technically part Nigerian. Okay. So I didn't know that. That's great. So not as bad. Um, Still very, very acceptable. But I mean, Omos, for the listener who said that, that was the best piece of booking. Anyway, let's keep going. United States Championship Riddle against Sheamus. Riddle was on his scooter. He came across great Kali backstage. Kali totally no-sold all the jokes. It was hysterical. Even before Rob Van Dam comes in, promoted his freaking rolling papers. I could not <laughs> believe the words rolling papers were used on a wrestle, let alone WWE TV at any time, but a WrestleMania night two pay-per-view Rob Van Dam saying rolling papers. It really is 2021. And it worked. His Riddle, website crash. Did it? That's hysterical. Okay. Uh, Riddle rode his scooter to the ring. The birds that showed after he jumped in the ring were all pirate themed. One of them had an eye patch. I'm sorry. It's really funny stuff. Okay. I liked it. Um, as far as the match goes, holy crap. Riddle hit a avalanche overhead belly to belly suplex in an insane early spot off the top rope. Then he hit the jackhammer, which is always a slight to Goldberg, but commentary didn't call it. Presumably they're not supposed to. Sheamus caught Riddle with a bro kick out of nowhere and Riddle kicked out at 2.9. So he looks really strong. Then Sheamus hit an Alabama slam and Riddle kicked out again. Riddle ran Sheamus into the ring post on the apron. Then German suplexed him on it, following with a punt kick and a floating bro outside. He had another floating bro inside for a near fall. Riddle kicked out of a powerbomb and turned it into a rear naked choke. There were a ton of counters. And then Riddle springboard moonsaults off the middle rope into the ring. And Sheamus catches him with a brogue kick for the one, two, three to win Mm -hmm. the title. Riddle ate this bro kick for real, right in his mouth. Natalia, earlier in the show, thought she lost a tooth. She put a hole in her lip. I don't know what happened to Riddle. I really hope he didn't break his jaw or something. 
but something happened. He either got his mouth cut or he lost a tooth or whatever. Blood poured out of his mouth. First off, dude, this was a fantastic match. A total banger in every way. I was a bit surprised at the booking, actually, given Riddle just won the title a couple months ago, and they didn't concentrate on Sheamus at all during the lead up to this match on the show. It's almost like it was just Matt Riddle against some guy. So I thought that was kind of interesting. What I would have done here, just to say, is I would have had Sheamus hit the ring, then have him waiting for Riddle to make his entrance. Then you show that backstage segment where Riddle's just kind of palling around and being a dumb stoner and like not realizing what time it is. Someone come gets him. Hey, Riddle, you got to get, what are you doing, man? You got a match to get to. Riddle's, uh, sorry, Sheamus is fuming in the ring. Riddle makes his entrance. It gives Sheamus even more motivation to destroy him. But either way, this was a really well-deserved title win by Sheamus after an incredible year of work by him. I hope my expectation is that this means Keith Lee is coming back. They wanted to put the title on a heel so that Keith Lee will be able to win it off of him as he was supposed to a couple months ago against Bobby Lashley. But this was great. This was a four-star match, a B plus, And I loved the entire thing. I thought I was very entertained by it. That kick was another one of those moments where I yelled out, oh, fuck, (laughs) when he got hit. Because they they nailed that. They nailed it too well. I mean, honestly. It was too good. Uh, But, but. This was fun. This was fun two weeks ago when they beat the crap out of each other. And you you know with Sheamus it's going to be a brawl and he's going to hit you hard and he's going to want you to hit him hard. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised Sheamus won. Like you said, I figured Riddle keep the belt. So hopefully Keith Lee comes back or hopefully they have some plan. But Sheamus more than deserves this. He, he's had a great run here. Um, this was actually annoying. Something I wrote down in my notes for this match is that it actually got spoiled for me on Twitter by like 20 seconds by the WWE on Fox Twitter account. Yeah, the, the Twitter account's so, way Suddenly started yeah. just the second a match is over, they're putting their graphic up. And it's like, give us a little bit of time here. So that was kind of annoying. I ended up having to mute them because they were getting too far ahead of me. I don't understand why they need to be right there. They should know there's a delay. Anyway, mm-hmm. that was annoying. But this match was awesome. I'd love to see these guys wrestle a few more times because they just they do a really good job of beating the crap out of each other. And I hope Riddle, uh, I hope his mouth's okay. My only other takeaway is that I think Riddle probably needs to use edibles for a while, right? <laughs> or some, like of those, some of those rolling papers. You can't smoke with an open wound in your mouth. Like I think you just got to go with edibles. But I guess. All right. Yeah. All right. A couple more things. Uh, Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn with Logan Paul in his corner. So Zayn cut a quick promo before the match. Owens immediately hit a pop-up powerbomb. Logan Paul sat at ringside and didn't really do anything. Owens took a vicious brain buster on the ring apron, and Zayn later hit a great Michinoku driver. Michael Cole miscalled it as a blue thunderbomb. Corey Graves basically <laughs> saved him from it and played into like all the comments on Twitter about Cole being pretty terrible over two nights, which is really rare for him, and I, I hope everything's fine. And it, it, His commentary really was not good, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Uh, Owens came back with a huge frog splash and a really inventive neckbreaker on his knee. You see Adam Cole do that move all the time. They're really good friends, so it's kind of interesting they both do that. Uh, Zane countered a package pile driver with a exploder into the corner and then a stunner into, he countered a stunner into the blue thunder bomb. There was another exploder or a release overhead suplex and a brain buster. I wrote down this note. Man, this is awesome. And as soon as I hit period, the fans started chanting, this is awesome. Literally seconds later, uh, Owens came back with an avalanche swinging suplex in a six spot. Zane chased him down with a huluva kick. Owens countered another uh, huluva kick with super kicks. He then told Sammy, you did this and hit the stunner on him to win. 
and end a fantastic fight that was a total breakneck pace. Chris, do you have the time on this? I'm really curious. It was nine minutes, 20 seconds. And what was the time on Riddle? 10 minutes, 50 seconds. Wow, these matches were short, man. It's so weird, but okay. Um, it, these were short matches. It didn't feel like they were short, but no. so much happened yeah. in them. It was truly shocking. Um, Paul checked on Zayn as Owen celebrated, then went to shake Owen's hand. Zayn shoved uh, Paul and yelled at him. So Puff shoved them back all the way to the canvas and Sami Zayn just started walking to the back. Paul then tried to celebrate with Owens by raising his hand. And I mean, you knew it. It was foreboding the entire time and it was great. KO stared at him, looked at his wrist. Very Stone Cold Steve Austin-esque. Uh, the crowd popped pretty huge like for it. They knew what was coming and he stunned his ass right in the middle of the ring. Paul sold it almost like Vince McMahon style where like he didn't know how to fall, but once he fell, he really, really sold that he got stunned. And I give him a lot of credit for doing that. Kevin Owens is over as hell. He was over during the match. He was over after the match and he was super over after the stunner. It is time for this guy to get a main event title run again. Uh, this was a damn good match. I want to give it like a 4.25, like an A minus. Yeah. I was very impressed by what these guys did in about nine minutes. First thing, shout out to KO for wearing the match shirt in the match. Mm -hmm. I think it was KO Mania 5. You know, that, that looks so. like a that looks like a late 90s, early 2000s thing to like wear the show shirt like in your matches. Like that. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So shout out for that Two shout out to JBL who said during the introductions uh, that this was the biggest conspiracy on God's flat earth. I popped <laughs> for that. That was funny. It was a good line. It was a good line. It's and good line. two, uh, three, Kevin Owens is like I said, he is over like Rover. I mean, he's getting KO chance uh, before the match starts. Uh, he's getting KO mania chance during the match. I, it was it was when these guys came out is when I texted you. I said, I'm confused by the order of this match because I did not think after two opening matches that seemed to have the crowd kind of down. I did not think this was the match that was going to get everybody back into it. But I was wrong. They absolutely did. Everything changed with this match. Uh, these guys yes. obviously pulled out all the hits, all, all the great moves that they can do on each other and that they've done to each other a million times. Turned out to be the perfect match for the perfect spot. And Kevin Owens, I know he was just in a, I know he was just in a main event feud with Roman Reigns Roman. without fans, but he deserves a big babyface champion moment at some point with fans because they really, really like him. Like aside aside from moments, just just organic reaction and fans getting behind a guy, he's got it like very few others. You know, even if they don't give him a main event run, because obviously it's Reigns and. They're going to really have to figure out what they do. I mean, maybe Big E is poised to be that title challenger for SummerSlam. That would be fantastic if that's the direction they go. Owens should at least be going after the IC title. Like he should be a maybe not immediate, but a soon challenger for Apollo Crews. And I would love if we got like Kevin Owens versus Apollo Crews at SummerSlam and, and Owens took the title there. He he does deserve that opportunity. He's been great. Sami Zayn is doing the best work of his career. Again, credit to Logan Paul. This was good. The truth is... Um, and you can say yes or no, so we can move on. This should have opened night two. Yes. Th this or yeah. maybe the IC title match, but yes, exactly. That, that's what I meant by I'm surprised something else didn't start because you. this was a match, all the energy in it. I'm going long, but yes, this should have opened the, this should have opened the show. Or the Riddle-Sheamus match. One of those three sure. should have opened, and if they did, 
the show to some people, not me, but other people, maybe feels completely different because all three yes. of those were really good men's singles matches. Uh, and then lastly here, the last WrestleMania match we will talk about, the Fiend Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. Now, this did open night one. I know it's weird that we're talking about it last, but it just kind of made sense the way things flow here. Orton wore white tights, which is rare, but a lot of wrestlers do that for Mania. There was a short video package with The Fiend doing a metamorphosis. There was then a big jack-in-the-box at ringside that Alexa Bliss cranked until The Fiend emerged as an updated version of his old look. So it's kind of like a mishmash version of The Fiend. So they did play that out. They've been telling the jack-in-the-box story for a long time. The Fiend jumped off the box and clotheslined Orton. It would have been much cooler if uh, Orton caught him and RKO'd him there, but that's fine. I jumped off and clotheslined him, snapped Orton's neck, but Orton came back somehow, uh, hit three elevated DDTs. The Fiend mostly no-sold them. Uh, he did counter an RKO into a mandible claw, but didn't finish Orton with the slam like he does everyone else. Instead, he went for Sister Abigail. And after he kissed Orton's head, all of a sudden, fire filled the ring post, just like Kane. And I actually thought for a second Kane was about to come out, and I was going to lose my freaking mind. But instead... Suddenly, Alexa Bliss is sitting atop the jack-in-the-box with the black goo pouring out from her head. She was wearing a headband, and it was just pouring out from her head. It completely distracted The Fiend. Orton hit the RKO and won. One, two, three. Fiend and Bliss stared at each other, and the lights shut out. When they came back on, they were both gone. So that's really everything that happened. But what I thought was interesting is when Alexa Bliss showed up on top of the box, Fans started chanting, holy shit. I don't know if you caught that. Yes. They were really into it. They're like, oh my God, holy shit, holy shit. But then they booed at the end. And I understand why they booed because you thought something monumental was going to happen, right? But you can't, I've never seen them go. I've never seen a crowd in a 30 second span go from holy shit to boo. I thought that was kind of the definition of fickle. Now, this felt, Chris, like something that should have been at a B-level pay-per-view or really any pay-per-view that is not WrestleMania because it was not a WrestleMania quality match. It was not a WrestleMania quality segment. It was far worse than Firefly Funhouse last year. What I just don't understand is how this is what they came up with for this match, for WrestleMania, especially from a storyline that has lasted like four months. It seemed like they were gonna be, there was going to be a huge moment and there was nothing. It feels like this is over, like Orton hit the RKO. The Fiend is now in this weird thing with Bliss and maybe Sister Abigail and whatever the hell else is going on. And I don't necessarily mind any of that, but we had this huge feud with Orton. The Fiend got burned alive. He had a metamorphosis and recovered. And Randy Orton RKOs him, wins again, and they don't even explain it why. So this was largely a failure. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, so I guess I'll give it a D plus with no match rating because, I mean, it wasn't an F. Um, there was some inventiveness and uniqueness to it, but I don't know who the hell booked this. I don't know who the hell came up with this as the WrestleMania segment, and I don't know who the fuck decided that this should open night two of WrestleMania. They should be going to hell. Yeah, so when we got word this was going to open the show, I thought, oh, that means cinematic match because it's storming in Tampa and this will be a way they can start the show without having to start the show in the ring. And that obviously turned out not to be the case. But they, 
they had built this up so well for months. I mean, Randy Orton burned him alive at TLC, I think, which was like four or five months ago. This has been a really, really good story. Alexa Bliss has been incredible in this new role. And then we don't get anything for the go home show. We just get a video package. And that got me very nervous that they didn't know what they were going to do. And they did what I wanted them to do, which was the fiend kind of heals up. I know you called it a metamorphosis, but it felt like he was kind of just self-healing himself. I, I had wanted him once he came back every week to get progressively and progressively more healed until he's his final form in the match. But we got there. And the entrance was awesome. You had the crowd, Jan, holy shit, really cool visual. And then you know, he comes out of what Michael Cole called a box-like structure. <laughs> I don't know if you <laughs> got that line. But he, during the match, someone runs in, hits the box, and Cole calls it a box-like structure. Dude, it's just a box. It's a box. <laughs> it's a box. It's a box. <laughs> but so they get to this moment, and then they bring back all the terrible parts about the fiend that everybody hated and that they had moved away from. We get the red lights. Nobody likes the red lights. We know this. Why are we doing red lights again? All of a sudden the fiend can't take any damage. Why are we, why are we back to doing this again? And, 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 and and we get a non, we get a weird finish where we don't know what to make of it, which is another problem. They ought to often did with the fiend thing. How did this fall off a cliff in the last, little bit here because this had been so good you can't you can't build this for four or five months and then the final moment of this feud at wrestlemania is oh i wonder what that means tune in on monday like no (laughs) this was the moment you have to pay it off now you can't do this you can't tell us you can't tell us oh trust us to keep telling the story because they've messed up on the fiend too many times they don't deserve that benefit of the doubt and 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 that's how you opened the show. It's not like it was yeah. like a popcorn match in between like the main events or something. Think, where what did you think the crowd was? How did you think the crowd was going to react to the fiend disappearing? Like they're... yeah, like it's like there was no thought process for this entire thing. And by the way, to your point, I think I said this was a four month thing. No, you you actually nailed it. This happened. The fiend was burned alive at TLC, which was in December, mm-hmm. which is four months ago. The feud started. Way before that. So this is a six months or so feud, something something along those lines, that ended in a short match with the guy who had already won all the other matches, I guess technically winning this one, and zero storyline resolution. And what was the purpose or point of this guy being burned alive and having to come back and doing all do all this stuff if it wasn't going to result in comeuppance at the end? It resulted in nothing. Literally, it resulted in nothing. And yes, they used the opening match of WrestleMania to say, hey, tune in Monday to Raw to see what we tell you this is. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, there's ratings ploys. I don't think this is one. And the last thing I'll say, because we do have to get out of here, is I, you and I both have been very patient. And we've both said, hey, look, you know what? I know we know a lot of people don't like this. But we are actually curious and entertained because it is unique and they are doing things and Alexa Bliss brought new life to it. And let's give them the opportunity to prove us wrong. They proved us wrong. Uh, I still think that the inventiveness is there. But if they cannot figure out how to handle this character and come up with finishes and storyline conclusions so you can progress into the next thing, 
then it's all for naught. It's a meandering, never-ending type of character that never actually goes anywhere, never actually does anything. He's not motivated or he should never have been motivated to win a title. We think that that's now the title motivation is gone, which would be a very good thing. Now what's he motivated to do? He's motivated to figure out with Alexa Bliss what's going on with her. And is someone randomly just going to pop up and say, no, Bray, you can't talk to Alexa Bliss that way. Like, like <laughs> I don't know what the next feud is. How is there yeah, another right, feud right, after this? Right. I mean, I like, assume Alexa Bliss is going to be Sister Abigail. Is my I mean, guess, is she gonna is she gonna feud with Bray Wyatt one right. on one? What, like, what is the re- what is the wrestling story you're gonna tell? Out of right, this? is there know. someone like is gonna rid her of a demon possession? Like Nikki Cross is gonna like figure out a way to get this out of her? Like, I mean, look, maybe that's what I wanted them to do. Yeah, there's there's the chance that they're gonna surprise us, but no longer can I say, okay, I can't wait for them to surprise us. Now yeah. I'm at the point where it's like, okay, I've been disappointed time and again. Individual segments I may find entertaining, but the totality of this has just been another womp womp, another situation where it's WrestleMania. We know what they did with Firefly Funhouse last year. We were really excited to get something like that, and we talked about it all week long. They gave us nothing. They've been this this storyline has main evented Raw more than Drew McIntyre has main evented Raw or Bobby Lashley has main evented Raw over the last like four months. It's constantly in the main event and constantly featured on Raw. And they get to the WrestleMania match or the WrestleMania week. They do a video package. They don't do anything fresh. Then on SmackDown, they air the same video package. Then before the match, they air the same video package. And then nothing happens in the quote unquote match. This was a massive failure. I'm not going to give it a 0.0 because there was actually, it's probably like a 0.5. Like it wasn't good, but there was enough there that made me think like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. But it was shit. Like, let's just be honest. It was garbage. And it was, a t- and even if you, kept it exactly the way it was whoever decided to make it the opener is a moron yeah firefly funhouse last year was one of the most creative things i'd seen in pro wrestling in years and it saved the fiend because he had lost to goldberg and it was a complete mess of what that character was they did a great job from the firefly funhouse on spending a year building back up the character getting rid of those attributes we didn't like and then they just brought it all back for this match. Like, why, man? What, yeah. what, a, what a letdown for so many reasons. And Alexa Bliss deserves better. Bray deserves better. Because they've done a really good job in this. But the, the booking's just been a problem. So I guess we'll see what happens on Monday. Such a weird decision so to start The one thing I will it. say is that it seems like Bray Wyatt has a lot of control regarding the booking. So I don't know that we can say that he deserves better if he's the one doing it. Like, it does it's seem not like his, he has... I mean, it's not his fault. I don't... Unless he's telling, you know... He didn't put Bruce it on Pritchard, first. no, I can take no damage. No, give me the red lights. I don't think that's his decision. I No, but I think he is... I think he has an extremely strong hand in the character and how it's portrayed. I don't think he decided to put it on first at WrestleMania, but I do think that much of this is on him. Um, and look, we're, we're not going to know, so we can't argue about it, but... It's just disappointing, and it should have been better. Yeah, it was, uh, before a, it was you, a weird thing to start the show, and it took a, it took a minute for the show to kind of get going. But still, overall, heck of a night, uh, yeah. heck of a show. It was still over. It's, this is probably the low point of the whole two days. Yeah, but but we yeah, got more. We got more. We got to get out of here. Yep. We got to get out of here. A couple more things. Uh, Hulk Hogan and Titus O'Neil as the co-host. They did absolutely nothing for me. It was cool to see Titus wearing Gator colors. Go Gators! That popped me for sure. Um, but Hogan, both every single time he was in front of a crowd, got booed. This is Tampa. This is his home. He can't even get cheered there. They tried to put Titus with him. That was a massive failure just because it didn't get the heat off of Hogan. They got to stop using Hogan in big moments. 
Uh, they should know better. They don't. Uh, 0.0 for them on that. I did think it was interesting in night one that the show opening pyro happened two thirds of the way through the show. We talked about not getting it at the beginning. Do you agree with me that I think there, there was two reasons they did it? Either due to the weather delay or because they wanted the first pyro, they wanted the first excitement, the big pop to be Drew McIntyre's entrance. Um, I, I don't know. I, I could see it being both. I, honestly, I have no idea. I, I can't. I can't sit here and say it wasn't the rain because... Certainly, you would think that would have an effect. And then lastly, Bailey. Uh, so, you know, people were really concerned why she wasn't on WrestleMania, but we ended up seeing a lot of her over two nights. She interrupted the WrestleMania hosts and the NWO in night one and tried to two sweet all of them until they all basically walked away from her. It was typical Bailey. Pretty funny. Pretty good. Bailey later interrupted Michael Cole on the stadium mic. She like butted into his shot on the announce table to introduce the Hall of Fame class. That was probably the best part of the entire thing. Her and Cole always working so great together. And then on Sunday, she interrupted Hogan and Titus O'Neil while they were talking to Eric Bischoff. Bischoff put over Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. Bailey got pissed and they all walked away from her again. She also interrupted Hogan and Titus before the main event on stage and demanded her pyro. So they did a bunch of pyro. Bailey kept ranting and then the Bella twins came out. She made a comment about John Cena. So then the Bellas beat her up and rolled her down the ramp. Fans booed at it because why'd they boo? They really like Bailey. Why they boo? They were expecting someone other than the Bellas. This was not a great resolution. I thought to two nights of build and probably anyone else, maybe even Charlotte coming out and attacking Bailey would have been better. Most likely. Uh, the one thing I'll say is, Bailey is great. I think she did a very good job across all of these segments. The resolution was terrible. But if you booed because you wanted Becky Lynch and that was your expectation, then that's on you because you raised your expectation unnecessarily. I mean, yes, we did talk about they've mentioned Becky a bunch. Well, or no, 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 no. Like, yeah. like we've mentioned Becky a bunch. Like, hey, you know, this would make a lot of sense if they made this Becky. And there were reports about it. And she tweeted. Becky tweeted a picture of herself working out and she had the interview in Elle magazine. Like, I understand why you may think that's a possibility, but they didn't sell you on one thing and then give you the Bellas. That was your, everyone else's own, like, oh, you know, I think this would make sense if Becky came out right now and she didn't. And it was the Bellas. So they booed because it wasn't Becky. I don't think that was fair to the Bellas, even though I don't think it was a good piece of booking. Yeah, this is why I said Saturday night, I said, I I, I don't want to get any expectations up ever that somebody's going to make a return because 99% 99% of the time, you're going to be wrong. But part of this is on Becky for tweeting and trolling both nights that she was going to be there. And and so mm-hmm. I and in the way it was built up, I don't blame people for thinking it was going to be Becky. And there was a, I, for as someone who didn't think Becky was going to be there. There was even a moment as that was going on that I actually did think it was going to be Becky. But then. They start talking about she starts talking about the Hall of Famers and then you're realizing, oh, a Hall of Famer is going to come out and then turns into the Bellas. And yeah, Bellas didn't deserve to get booed for that. But it goes back to the idea of, oh, a Hall of Famer beating up someone who's on the current roster. Fans don't like that. It wasn't Becky Lynch. I get the reaction. I don't put it on people like Bailey, too. I I put it. Yes, I I, I put it on WWE thinking that that was going to work for whatever reason. Yeah, I just think it was a bad piece of booking. But honestly, if you really think about it, it should have been obvious because every single thing she did had to do with Hall of Famers. Yes. And the females in the Hall of Fame were the Bella Twins. So in every way, it made sense. They probably should have teased it on night one where like they tried to talk to her and say, hey, Bailey and whatever. She's like, and she like brushes them off like I don't have time for you. They probably should have teased it so we knew what to expect. So that way people weren't disappointed. But it's okay. It, it, It wasn't offensive, but. 
I just I thought it was weird that the fans booed there. Like I understood why they did, but it just felt like it was unnecessarily mean to the Bellas. That's all. And not that I'm protecting them. I'm just saying. Okay, so that's WrestleMania 37 incident analysis. Now, the way we always get out of these incident analysis is by going over our pre and post show grades. If you remember, the Silver King had a pre show grade of B plus. Chris Vanini had a minus. And as far as the fans go, 60% of you thought that WrestleMania both nights combined would be a B and 34.1% said A. There was about 5% C, 1.6% D and F. Now the fan vote I found to actually be very interesting. Are you ready for this? 56.4% of respondents said WrestleMania, both shows combined, was an A. 34% said it was a B. So those numbers almost exactly flipped. Then there was 5.6%, which said it was a C, less than one point less than 1% higher than the pre-show, and 3.8% said D to F. Now, I don't know where those people are coming from, but 3.8% is not little. So no. that's some people believe that. But I think what's worth focusing on is more than half, 56% said A. And let me do quick math. 90.6% said WrestleMania was an A or B. So again, I was B plus pre-show or before the shows began. You were a minus, Chris. What is your final grade for two nights of WrestleMania 37? My final grade is an A. This was so much fun from start to finish. I loved the format. I loved pretty much everything except for the finish of the Fiend-Orton match. Everything else delivered. Everything else felt like a big deal. I give this an A. This, this, I had high expectations because WWE's been doing a good job of pay-per-views. This even exceeded my expectations. This was great. I thought this was a great pay-per-view. I thought this was... Hmm. One of the best WrestleManias. I, I really do believe that. Uh, people, who, again, who were poo-pooing night two, I don't think we're really putting night one in context. They're, night one was not exceptionally strong. I think the biggest detriment on the across both shows was the length of some of the matches. I said it at the beginning. There's five minutes you add to some of these matches here and there. The show goes an additional 30 minutes. Is that really that big of a deal? Like the f- matches would feel more substantial. But even despite that, these matches that were short, so much action was packed in such, to such short periods of time. I do think they probably need to rethink the concept. We should probably discuss, Chris, on Tuesday's show whether WWE should stay with the two-night WrestleMania format going forward. But I got to tell you, night one, I'm sitting in a hotel room. I'm exhausted in the middle of a work trip watching WrestleMania. I have every reason to be in a bad mood. I have every reason to not have time for it or be impatient, or whatever the case might be. I loved night one. Tonight, I just finished round four of the Masters. I'm exhausted. We're wrapping this up like at 2.30 a.m. Eastern, an instant analysis. I have every reason to be frustrated and angry. I loved night two. You're right. This was an A WrestleMania. This was an A WWE pay-per-view. I actually think when we look back on this, we're going to say it's one of the greatest WrestleManias top to bottom of all time. Yes, there was bad parts or, or mediocre to negative parts. Every WrestleMania has that. There's no perfect WrestleMania. WrestleMania is a very difficult show to nail. I think WWE absolutely crushed WrestleMania 37. Yeah, and, and when we look down a few years down the road and we see what kind of megastar Bianca Belair is and we see, uh, you think about the retirements of Edge and maybe Dan O'Brien's gone and maybe this was his last WrestleMania main event. You, you we're going to realize, I think, the magnitude of of a lot of these things. And this is the first two nighter, so we we kind of 
feel differently about it. If they keep doing two nighters, it'll put this one in a greater context with others. But everything felt like again, everything felt like a big deal on the show. I never was bored. I was never like, all right, let's wait till the next thing. Everything went quick. Everything worked out. Um, it was just an incredible amount of fun with two legendary main events. And by the way, like people always talk, I'll get out of here on this. Uh, people always talk about, hey, we want to see new stars and we don't want WWE to only use their old people, right? Well, who was on this WrestleMania? First of all, I know Owens and Zayn have been there for a few years, but not featured heavily consistently, right? You got those guys on there. You got Omas, you got Riddle, you got Apollo Crews and Big E. You got obviously, um, you know, Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley. The Sexy Muscle Friends got time on the show. The Riot Squad were on there. Carmella and Billy Kay were on there. Omas is a new dude. Damian Priest is a new dude. Cesaro is not a, not at all a new dude, but it got shine that he's never gotten before. I mean, I thought this was, if you looked at this WrestleMania card, you compare it to some in the past, and you're like, man, there's a lot of new names that got like either the first WrestleMania opportunities or their most substantial WrestleMania opportunities. Top to bottom, I thought this was a damn good WrestleMania, deserving of an A. Uh, people criticizing this to an extent. I mean, you can criticize it. We did on the show. We criticized many things, but criticizing this to an extensive degree where you're going to give it a C or a D, or you're going to say it was terrible or that night two was substantially worse than night one. I just don't know where that's coming from. So positive reviews here from the getting over wrestling podcast, a grades from the silver King, Adam Silverstein and vintage Chris Vanini. Normally we would do a whole nice wrap up and, and, Get you into things, folks. It is late. This is a really long show, longest instant analysis we've ever done. This is how we're going to do it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. Make sure that you tune in on Tuesday when we give you our latest WWE episode. It'll be the Raw after WrestleMania, some WrestleMania topics that we didn't get to talk about. And by the way, there's a new pay-per-view, WrestleMania Backlash, which is going to be next month that WWE announced. We're going to talk about all of that and much more this coming Tuesday. And then we will be back Thursday this week with our NXT, first Tuesday NXT, and AEW show. Despite the change in date for NXT, that show will still be out on Thursday. Chris Benini, thanks you. The Silver King Adam Silverstein, thanks you. This was a great WrestleMania. I hope this was a great WrestleMania 37 instant analysis. I'm going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now. 